0: about my screwed up story <laughs>
1: hello and welcome back to you and i for the keen eye i'm with back with Coburn today at the Trinity intake office recording another great recovery story we're here with kayla today kayla how's it going it's going
0: good how y'all doing
1: today excellent dandy yes dandy. great always <laughs> great day Definitely. so um we're short on time here so we'll just get right into it um where are you from
0: I'm from here, I grew I've lived here my whole life, I'm 22 years old, yeah, and I grew up here in Soldotna, Alaska.
1: Nice. So, <laughs> so growing up, what like some things you like to do, like, um, what was your, what was an average day in the life of seven-year-old Kayla?
0: I was actually quite athletic, like, I was into basketball, soccer, I did, uh, figure skating for, like, six years, I, um, what else did I do? I was just very athletic. I was into like, that's when I ran at the time. I don't anymore.
2: <laughs> I feel
1: that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I
0: wish I did, but I'll get into that some other time. And yeah, I was just a very athletic kid. I was very hyper. I'm still pretty hyper, but recovery makes you gain weight. So now I'm kind of like a sloth, <laughs> but, but yeah, that was like the average day for me. And, um, My parents worked a lot. They both worked Mm full-time. So we had babysitters a lot of the time. Like, my dad worked on the slope, but when he would even come back from the slope, he'd go out north and he'd work again for, like, two weeks. So he was just full-time all Mm -hmm. the time. And then my mom, uh, she was an OB nurse at the hospital over here for 23 years, and so she worked all the time, too, on-call, full-time. So we were really kind of with babysitters Mm -hmm. a lot of the time, which wasn't my parents' fault. You know, they were just trying to make a living, but it definitely gave us a lot more of free range, Mm -hmm. that makes sense. I have an older brother who's my half-brother. He's uh, 36 now, so he was a lot older than me. So Mm -hmm. I didn't really, when I was younger, I didn't get to see him as much as I wanted to. And then I have a younger brother who's 20, so he's like two years younger than me. Mm -hmm. So we were just kind of these little kids left to our own device not like left to our own devices but like we had a little bit of free range like yeah. we just kind of be like all right we're gonna go on a walk or we're gonna go do this and the babysitters would be like okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like there's really they weren't gonna like try and stop us from what we were doing
3: yeah
0: mm-hmm. that's kind of when the trouble started for sure really yeah so,
1: so yeah let's dive right in how, when does the trouble start like how old are you when the trouble starts
0: Oh, gosh. I mean, the trouble definitely started. I could just tell I was a troublesome kid when I turned about eight years old. I would just, like, I mean, like, just to get to, like, the nitty-gritty, I would tell when I would go downstairs, and we had a little tiny TV downstairs, and I would try to watch shows that I wasn't allowed to. Really? Like, those, like, fake porn kind of shows or, like, MTV, you know, like, stuff like that. I just knew I was, like, a really curious kid, and the first time I ever drank or used was when I was 12. Okay. So I was really young. I the, I think in the same night, I drank and I tried marijuana. And the first night I drank, I drank 100-proof vodka. So I just went right for it. Uh, and from that first sip of alcohol, I knew. I was just like, this is it. At 12. This is it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And my younger brother, who is... 2 years younger than me. I mean, I brought him right into that life too. I would cuz you know how your parents are like if you go somewhere you have to bring your brother with you. <laughs> so I would yeah, be like, dude,
1: I was always be like, that come guy. Come on. <laughs> I was always the tag along. Yeah, I have an older brother who works yeah. with us too. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, so like it was kind of the same thing like I'd be like my our mom would be like oh, if you go somewhere make sure you take your brother be mm-hmm. like Oh, okay, so yeah, we did tons of things together, probably against his will, more or less, but yeah, (laughs) yeah. and he's the tag along.
0: (laughs) He was so, you know how younger siblings, too, they just want to be like their older sibling, or they look up to them that time, so he looked up to me. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, 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 super unfortunately. (laughs) and I'm his older sister and I'm 12 years old already partying like experimenting yeah. with boys smoking every day at this time I'm already So smoking.
1: how did like the first time come about then like what led you into that situation?
0: Oh so I was um when I was younger I went to a Christian school from like preschool to 4th grade and it was I didn't like it it was awful not that I don't have a relationship with God now which mm-hmm. I do But I was kind of angry with God because I got bullied, like, really severely. Mm. So I just... That whole experience in school, I hated it. Yeah. Because it was just awful. I felt so out of place. They would always call me weird just because I was, like, kind of different. I mean, just how I am now, like, loud and silly and stuff. But they Mm. didn't like that. They didn't like how I was. They would, like, pull my hair and pour water on me and, like, just, like, all kinds of stuff. And... So I switched to public school when I was in fifth grade, and that's when I started hanging out with like kids that were older than me right. and kind of the different crowd. Because you mm. go from a Christian school to a public school, and I don't mm. like to make that like stereotypical, but I mean, that, that was is your when
2: experience, I experience. Yeah,
0: that's when I started getting into trouble. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Plus, we find that the really accepting group is often the group that's into a lot of things that probably aren't so great because they're like, oh, I do this and it's okay. So if someone else does that, that's okay. And it kind of it has its own really accepting culture. I think it's sometimes portrayed as like peer pressure, like oh, the bad kids are gonna be like, Mm -hmm. hey, come over here and try this. But kind of in reality, they're just really cool with whatever you do. They're just like, oh, you do you. And then you're surrounded by this environment of a bunch of people who care about their appearance care about like not sticking out and stuff so it's really i think it's really easy to fall in with that crowd who just accepts kind of everything
1: and i think everyone like what's just so interesting about that crowd dynamic is like they're all you know it's like it's almost stereotypical too like i don't want to stereotype the out like the outcasts you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. they band together or like not they because i was in that crowd as well for the most part like yeah they bound like you kind of come together on the fact that you're just so weird you know what i mean like quote unquote and like you're just so (laughs) everyone's so different that you're like you have that commonality of being ostracized from like the typical like fifth sixth seventh grader you know what i mean like Mm-hmm. and so you all kind of like and then it's just kind of one of those things where like and you're weird because of probably some experiences you've had and like you probably share some commonalities like throughout life to that point that like your inclination like towards substances or towards getting out of like your own head or whatever leads to that is all probably also a commonality you know what I mean like you have similar interests in that way you know what mm-hmm. I mean so like your bonds are just they different things that like make you so different from other people but so similar like to just to that group you know what i mean and mm-hmm. then in those like kind of comes out this expression through like substances or like you know you always see like the weird art kids or, you know or like yeah you know like, the nerds you know what i mean like all these groups come together because they're ostracized from like the typical like average kid you know what i mean whatever that means which is yeah. not really even a typical average kid they're all pretty weird in their own right true but you know what i mean like and oh, your yeah. tendency is just to like express yourself in that kind of way based on things that have happened to you you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and it's kind of sad but not sad but sad I don't know it's a lot it's a lot to think about I guess Mm -hmm. it
0: really is yeah my whole life like my whole beginning of my life I was never comfortable with myself I didn't Mm -hmm. like the way I looked because I thought my forehead was too big my nose was too big because I'd broken it also like three times so it kind of you know like with this like face, damn it, it kind of like changed the way I looked a little bit is what I thought, which it really didn't very much, but Mm -hmm. I was just, in getting like bullied severely, I was just like oh, well obviously there's nothing very special to me, so like
3: Mm -hmm.
0: why even make these friends and then when yeah, the friends at the public school accepted me, like I was Mm -hmm. like, I do just want to fit in, and I loved the way that alcohol and drugs made me feel too, Mm -hmm. so it definitely was a good commonality. Right. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? I'm like, mm-hmm. heck yeah, we're going to party. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, I, like, and like you said, that's easy. Like it's like, like Coburn said, it's easy to fall into that path, like fall in. But like to take that path, you know what I mean? Because like every fifth, sixth grader wants to be accepted by a peer group. You know what I mean? Like oh, yeah. adults, dude, everybody, every human being like wants to be accepted by somebody. And by a peer group, you know what I mean? like, And we all do it in different ways. And so like, it's not that, it's just so human, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, It's just mm-hmm. such a human experience like, to like, follow in that way, you know what I mean? Or not even necessarily follow, but like, join in that way.
2: Plus, the uh, only thing you really need for that acceptance is take a shot. And then all of a sudden, everyone, you are being prated around because you're, I'm, I mean, I'm sure they knew that you hadn't drank or anything before that.
0: I mean. Oh yeah, they they did. They knew I had it, and there right. was like I'm I'm almost positive there was people who were like, six seven years older than me. You know, they take my first shot of vodka, and I'm sitting there just stumbling. I mean, I'm already just hammered, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting there smoking weed on top of it, and. What's really sad about it, too, is I never thought about it until I got into recovery. But the first time I drank and used was the first time I was sexually assaulted, too. Wow.
1: And that's, like, Mm.
0: you know, that just plays a huge part into my story.
1: Definitely traumatizing, yeah.
0: Yeah, but I just saw it as normal. Like, this man who was, like, six years older than me, you know, we're sitting in the car because I'm just hammered. I mean, I can barely walk. And he sticks his hand down my pants. And I'm like a 12-year-old girl. Like, I don't know what to do. I don't... Mm. And, But I just kind of thought it was like a normal party culture, if that makes any sense at all. Because I didn't really know the party culture.
2: Right. I think it, it also plays into... It's one of those things that's so horrible that you don't even want to grasp it. Like, I'm sure you were totally innocent and kind of naive to that sort of thing. But it's also, even if you were to consider the implications somewhere in the back of your mind, you wouldn't want to believe that. You'd want to believe, oh, this is just party culture. You know, I'm not being literally sexually assaulted. Yeah. Now, as a twelve year old. I mean, even if you did know that, I don't think you'd want to acknowledge that. Like this is totally gonna ruin the vibe of the party if, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I just basically confirm in my head that something terrible has happened. Mm-hmm. So I think it'd be really easy to just push that out of your mind or right. at least just be like no it's, it's fine yeah. it just no no i'm, I'm just not going to think about it that didn't really happen it's just something weird yeah. happened it's right. just never going to happen again we'll never think about
1: yeah, it yeah or it's just happened. like you said normal you know what i mean like yeah. especially if it's your first introduction to like your first like real party experience you know what i mean like it kind of is like whenever you learn something new you know what i mean like you kind of get in that you kind of like get it down you learn it you know what i mean it's like oh so when i party we drink that makes me feel good you smoke that makes me feel good and then something like this is going to happen you know what I mean or like this Pretty happens much. like this I is like just kind of a part of like how it is it's like like not that it feels comfortable or it is comfortable or that like you know what I mean like not it's like even though it feels like you can feel that it's like not something that should be happening you're like oh this is just how it is and so like I don't really want to give up these other things for this like and it's kinda just kind of just
0: yeah, I was habit. very passive too. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm still, I'm I'm working on even assertiveness now to this day. I mm-hmm. was very passive, but I also wouldn't like to say I was, you know, this completely innocent kid because I was like growing up so curious, it, from going to a Christian school, I was mm-hmm. so curious about sex and sexual things and like, mm-hmm. so I, I knew about it and I knew what it was and I was also like very... Confused about my sexuality as well because Mm -hmm. I'm bisexual. Mm -hmm. And I thought I was gonna go to hell because I looked at girls the same as I did men. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I definitely knew about sex, but I knew that what he did was wrong. Right. (laughs) But I was like, I guess this is what happens. You know, I drink and I smoke and something sexual is gonna happen. Right. Pretty much, I guess. But I didn't see it as sexual assault at the time. But doing... Mm -hmm some work on myself yeah it definitely came to light
2: do you think that expectation rose in part just from kind of the message that was given to you before like oh if you do you know if you drink and do drugs bad things are going to happen to you so you're like oh this must be the bad thing that happens it just happens like did that ever go through your mind or not really
0: um not really but i thought i definitely thought with my sexuality that um Because of the way I was, nobody was going to accept me again, and then Mm. I was just going to go straight to hell. Wow. Like, I was like, this is it, because Mm -hmm. I was, by like, maybe six, seven years old, I already knew I was attracted to women as well. Mm -hmm. Like, I would just look at them the same as I did boys. Mm -hmm. So I was Mm -hmm. like, this is odd, but I had nobody to talk to about any of this stuff either so this was all just kind of trapped in my little brain
1: that's really hard that's incredibly hard like you're faced with some like real life like internal conflict at such a young age when you're still trying to figure out the world around you in general you know what i mean like how things work like how Mm -hmm. what dynamic who your friends are you know what's Mm -hmm. this like you're really just trying to figure out how the world functions and how you function in it and then you add this internal conflict that's like adults struggle with you know what I mean like people like ever, like a lot of people struggle with a very long time and it's hard all the way through life like it's incredibly hard like seven eight years old
0: oh yeah yeah having that internal conflict which I oh I had like my whole life there was just Mm -hmm. like a battle going on inside of me especially when my alcoholism and addiction woke up then that was when like the real battle started I was like okay Hmm. I'm confused about my sexuality and now all I want to do is drink and get high
2: like what was that Mm -hmm. a source of guilt I mean struggling with that in the background that you had it seems like that would be something you wrestled with a lot you're like I'm going to hell I'm such a bad person I can't get away from this part of me that I know is a part of my identity that you feel is a Mm -hmm. part of you, and then you feel like you're going to be ostracized. So obviously you can't talk to anybody who's been in your support system up until this point about the very thing that's literally, like, the most painful, I'm assuming, besides people just treating you like, you know, in (laughs) general. That's awful. But then also not being able to go to someone you trust, like an adult that you trust in your life that you could talk to about these things. you you got no one. So, you know, it kind of makes sense that the path would lead to, I mean, alcohol and and marijuana. It's easy to use those for escapism, you know, even. So I don't know if if that was – I mean, maybe it all kind of played an integral part in you're like, oh, man, I really like this stuff. Also, it's kind of nice that I don't have to feel guilty right now. Like, I don't hate Mm -hmm. myself. I feel pretty good. And so that – I hear that a lot in podcasts. People have this revelation of, like, self-acceptance that wasn't previously attainable because they stopped caring so much – because of alcohol influences. And they're like, you know what? For the first time, I feel like just a normal person. Mm-hmm. And I think that's addicting in itself. Yeah. Is feeling accepted. Right. Or at least not caring.
0: It yeah. really is. And it, when I was... I think I was nine years old. I had... Because I... We went through so many babysitters, my younger brother and I. Even when I was 13 or 14 years old, they would get us babysitters, you know, because I wasn't trusted because I was like a really, I was just this rebellious child. And when, I mean, I'm 12 years old, you know, 13, 14 going on. I'm already experimenting men and other drugs and like booze. I got my little brother into that stuff. He was 10 years old smoking pot and Mm drinking you know that's just like so awful for a parent to find out so my parents just thought they had failed us but yeah when I was younger when we had one of our babysitters I tried to like say like I don't know why I feel this way I look at girls in that way and she was just kind of like she didn't really know what to say because I'm like this little kid saying it she's kind of like oh my goodness
2: can imagine as a babysitter working for your parents yeah, yeah. She's, she's like
0: probably like uh, i'm just
2: gonna pretend that didn't happen your baby, like
1: you're 13 your babysitter is probably like 17 18 yeah still trying to figure out the world herself you know what i mean yeah, what like, year she's coming is this an, yeah and like, she, you're like oh yeah by the way uh-huh. i think i might be bisexual
2: she's like, <laughs> she's like wait a minute my employers might not approve of this Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, seriously
1: <laughs> And just not prepared, probably not prepared for that question. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, well, um, I'm
2: yeah. not, but
1: yeah. how's school? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously? How's dude. your homework
3: going? Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. So, actually, yeah. Let's. I'm gonna take a step back here a little bit. And so, looking back now and reflecting on that experience, like, if there is anybody of any age, really, that's like kind of struggling and confused about their sexuality, like, what do you think? would have helped you cope with that a little better and maybe not make it as much of a driver towards your substances
0: honestly i think even no matter what age you know if parents can afford it or you know there's really good resources these days too counseling Mm -hmm. is really good when i was able to like tell a counselor that i felt that way and talk about the way i was feeling with Like, school and already having substance abuse Mm -hmm. and alcoholism was, like, a big eye-opener for me. Mm -hmm. So, I think just, like, resources, being able to talk to somebody is the biggest thing. Right. Being able to, like, admit who you are without having a worry
1: in your mind. Right, or having to produce some self-inflicted guilt and shame. Oh, yeah. And sometimes not always self-inflicted, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. some very real, like, external pressures to be a certain way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so having someone, like you said, it comes back to acceptance, I mean, in my mind, you know what I mean? Like, just having even, like, a relationship with a counselor that's like, okay, like, let's keep talking about this, like, not spraying you with holy water and
2: yeah, that's, you're going to go to hell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's always something I find bizarre to me is that even in, you know, regardless of what you believe in, if you're a Christian or, or whatever, it's like, okay, so maybe you don't agree with with your child sexuality or whatever, like maybe that's something that you don't want to support. However, you should accept them as a person for who they are, even if you don't support that, because otherwise you're just gonna, you're not gonna be able to fix them. Say you even viewed it as a sin and you're like, that's a bad thing. If your child was a thief, you're not going to disown them yet. You'll see that you'll see just straight up disowning for sexuality. Whereas by the own, by the own idea of it being like, even if it was something wrong, like that should still be something that's accepted. That's kind of the whole point of the forgiveness and everything. So yeah. I feel like that just gets twisted so often, where mm-hmm. it's just like sexuality is somehow the ultimate terrible thing, and All I don't right. think it is. No. Uh, I mean, I think the. It is 2019. Yeah. <laughs> <Come on. laughs>
0: Get with the program. Well, yeah. I mean, even if
2: you see it through through the eyes of them, it still shouldn't be that way. Right. Well, you know. Yeah. I just find that bizarre. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: there's like, you can see it through like a religious prism on both ends, you know what I mean? And it's interesting, like, I'm not going to get on that yeah. trail. Yeah, yeah, it's Right. <laughs> <pretty laughs> That's there's a two whole nother talk about this is po- po- politics and religion. So, who um, did yeah. you vote for last year? No, I'm
0: just <Okay> going to ask you all kinds of questions. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> not the <laughs> ones you expect. <expand. clears throat> but no, seriously, I mean, there's a lot of external pressure and a lot of things to, like, be a certain way. So just, like, really talking to somebody you feel is, like... I feel the same way. I feel like I tell... A lot of people, a lot of times, probably even when they don't want to hear it, that, like, everyone should probably have a chance to see a counselor. Yeah. And even a therapist needs a therapist, you know what I mean? Like, even yes. just, like, having, like, a third neutral party that you don't have to see every single day or that unless you unless you want to, you know what I mean, or mm-hmm. really feel like you need to. But, like, you're not going to see in the grocery store and they're going to judge you or, like, yeah. you know, not, it's not like your parents or, like, it's, not, like, that best – like, you know, having that best friend to talk to is great. Like, don't get me wrong, that person's awesome, but mm-hmm. it helps to have, like – a quote unquote like qualified third party that can really like just kind of help you get around to these things you know what i mean and like really like you can trust from like an objective perspective <laughs>
2: literally legally oh, yeah. bound not to tell anyone else <laughs> exactly. and that's the kind exactly. of that's yeah. the kind of thing you want because right. otherwise you just don't know i it's, want it's... legally bound i'm making yeah, all my, co- like my tr- contracts
1: yeah. Yeah. i'm Everyone. making
0: my own contract <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> sign it
0: yeah
1: but <laughs> yeah. well, no i think that's really valuable so we're moving on through life here. What's So what's high school look like for you? We find that's usually a pretty, especially with, like, kind of a confusing sexual identity and you're already experiencing some substance misuse. And so what was that experience like?
0: Oh, yeah. So when I got into high school, even in middle school, I was already experimenting with, like, other drugs. And uh, I'd gotten into pills and cocaine. And so when I got into high school, you know, the drinking and this i smoked pot multiple times a day for just years like that was just my life that Mm -hmm. was just how i lived my life and drinking was just a normal thing for me right like i at probably 15 i used to put my bottles on the shelf in my room and one day my mom was like you you can't do that i was like watch me
3: yeah you
0: know because I just wanted to normalize it so I could drink and use in peace, right. pretty much, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. and uh, uh, It
2: really does. It's yeah. a real strong yeah. arm approach that would have not, not have worked with my parents, however. <laughs> like, <laughs> that is one way. They would have seen the bottles and be like no none of this yeah. is ever happening yeah. again uh-uh. also you're gonna be in your room <laughs> until you fix it whatever it is <laughs> like, yeah not really but you know you know what i'm yeah, saying yeah. it's like wow that's that's crazy that you were just like i don't actually care oh
1: to yeah that my, point f- i think there's a certain level of defiance you reach though where like even your parents just don't know what to do mm-hmm. you know what i mean they're like that that creates a lot of like some high level thinking right there and you know what i mean because really like there's some outcomes that are like Pretty like that's some risky business, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you get to a certain level of defiance where it's like, okay, she's sixteen. If we kick her out, we don't know where she's gonna go. But if we keep her in here, like we she, she has to know she can't drink here. But if she does anyway, like if she keeps sneaking out or doing this, like oh yeah, and I was what, doing
0: all that right. Like mm-hmm. at what
1: point, like like ha- like we have to make a decision. You know what I mean? Like this, I can't like keep going on un like untalked about. You know it can't just keep like happening but at the same time like what action do we take like that creates a Mm -hmm. lot of like a lot of thought a lot of stress really yeah Yeah, my, my
0: freshman and sophomore year i was doing decently i would like to say i was still smoking weed daily you know drinking all the time and yeah i started experimenting with the cocaine and pills but for some reason i still held myself together okay Like I was doing cheerleading and made a lot of friends in high school and it was really nice. Like I I didn't feel like one of the popular people, you know? But I felt okay. I felt Mm -hmm. decently accepted. And my grades weren't like, you know, plummeting to the core at that time. I mean, they always weren't that great to be honest. (laughs) But like, because I just couldn't hold myself together a lot of the time. Like I would always choose using and drinking over you know homework like Mm I was like that Mm -hmm. can go to the side I'm gonna go party and Mm -hmm. about the end of my sophomore year or maybe even the beginning I got into a relationship and it was like my first real relationship like here's the funny part too we meet at a party which is so fun. he's the one who can drink a whole bottle you know and still be standing and like That didn't attract me, but I think that both of us having alcoholism, because I knew that he was an alcoholic by the way he drank and the way he presented himself. Like, he would stand on the bed of a truck like, Whoa! Mm -hmm. You! 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 Fight me! I'm like, okay, this guy's wild. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: But he was, like, the most attractive guy in school and stuff, and I was always like, yeah, he's never going to like me. And he ended up liking me, and it made me feel special, because I had those self-esteem issues, and mm. we get into this relationship, and it is the most codependent, toxic relationship I've ever been in. Mm. I mean, to this, like, maybe not to this day, but I would almost like to say, because right. I've been in other ones that were awful, too, because after this one, that was my pattern. Right. Mm. I would go for toxic, abusive men, because that was, like, my normalism.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And so we get in this relationship and we literally just can't be apart. And I go into my junior year and because things are just, we're so codependent and stuck at the hip and he literally, I have to stay at his mom's house or he has to stay at my mom's house or we have to stay at my dad's house because we always had to be together. It was like really sickening codependency. And that year I was Sixteen. Yeah, I had already been experimenting pretty heavy with cocaine and pills. I'd gotten mm-hmm. pretty addicted to cocaine at that time because everything I tried, I pretty much got fully addicted to. Right. Because mm. I already had that the addiction, and alcoholism inside of me, and mm. um, it was like a little monster that was just like awoke and like feed me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned your mom's house and your dad's house. Were they still together at this point?
0: Oh, um, so. When I was about five years old, my parents, I, I could tell they started not liking each other. Mm. I would almost like to say they hated each other, but that's probably pretty strong. They mm-hmm. strongly disliked each other. So, I also did mention this. I grew up with them just screaming and fighting with each other pretty mm. much on the daily if they right. saw each other. I wow. mean, they were always going back and forth to work, but when they saw each other, I mean, it was on. Yeah. Like, you're mm-hmm. doing this... You're letting the kids go and do this? Like, no, you're doing that. Like, F you. You know, no, Mm. F you. And it was like, we're these kids who are just like, holy cow. And I couldn't see that there's always two sides to every story. So I always stuck up for my mom.
3: Yeah. Like,
0: Dad, you're a piece of (laughs) You know, Mm. you don't talk to mom like that. and When really there was two sides to it the whole time. And, of course, I learned that later on.
3: Mm -hmm. But when I was
0: 16, my mom moved out of my dad's house. And she got an apartment because she told us that she, uh, you know, needed space. Mm -hmm. I knew she was going to divorce him pretty soon, though.
3: Right. And
0: when I was 17, that happened. Like, Mm -hmm. we got the news that she was divorcing my dad. I wasn't surprised, though, at all. It was, they were so verbally and mentally and emotionally abusive to each other it was just sickening right. like yeah it definitely reminded me of the relationship i was in at that time
2: mhm that's interesting some, yeah, some kind model of modeling. Yeah yeah. yeah yeah it's like what oh, yeah, else yeah. would yeah. you <laughs> <laughs> expect <laughs> right. yeah like yeah, that's what the re- only relationship that you knew of really looked like mm-hmm. I mean, you work so often you don't see each other and when you see each other you scream at each other and so your kids get either nothing or just explosive I mean that's what it sounds like
0: oh yeah and we were we, I mean we were definitely spoiled kids but I think that was one of their ways since they worked so much to show us you know their attention and mm-hmm. love by just kind of either giving us money like yeah go go do this or giving us gifts and stuff which I grew up liking like I was like okay
3: <laughs>
1: yeah
0: money for
3: and more drugs could, yeah,
1: yeah <laughs> i was about to <laughs> say and you're like two christmases <laughs>
0: yeah and then so when i was 16 and i was with um I'm just gonna say jay at this time and uh that's just the the first letter of his name. Yeah. Don't worry, that's not his
2: actual name. <laughs> first letter of his name so, is J. His name is also J. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oops. The first letter is J yeah. and his main spelled J A Y. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It's like, <laughs> so you're not wrong, but also <laughs> no, yeah. no. he lives at this end. Ad- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here's
0: his address. Yeah. Is his full name. No. Uh, and when I was sixteen, yeah, and we we're in, already in this codependent relationship and just getting into it. Um I was still just experimenting and i mean my addiction alcoholism was fully awakened at this time everybody around me already knew i had a problem i was like i definitely wasn't like the last one to see it but this is when i had went to a a friend's house and the first time i tried xanax and that's when like my addiction was just on and running Mm -hmm. that's when like it fully awoke to the point where I would do anything to get Xanax, and I was going to do it every day. And if I didn't have it, I was withdrawing kind of stuff. Mm. And I would, uh, I mean, I was, I even started by just doing five of them the first time I did that. It's aggressive. You know, yeah, Yeah. because I would just go all in or nothing. And I'm sitting there, and what Xanax does, too, it makes you very, like, I mean, it's an anti-anxiety medication, mm-hmm. a, a benzodiazepine, which is, you know, obviously one of my drugs of choice, and um, it just makes you feel like you're on top of the world. But you also black out from it. Like, a lot of the time, if you do a lot, you can't remember anything you've done. And so I would just be doing these crazy things, and I would drive on it. and um, That's dangerous. And when Jay realized I was doing it, the first time he was like, are you high on Xanax again right now? I just, I just got done cutting his hair. I had done a, a decent job for being on, like, six Xanax, but, like...
2: That's a pretty heavy qualifier. He that, didn't end up bald. Yeah, that's, yeah.
0: That's, the, that's the key point of that right there. Yeah. And um, he turned around, and he looks at me, and he's like, You are high as f*** right now. You know? And I was like, What are you going to do about it? And he just socks me just socks me in the face and that was the first time i had experienced um physical abuse from a man i'm like i'm trying to think of any other times and yeah right. that was the first time i had experienced physical abuse from a man mm. and i had already experienced sexual abuse you know growing up from different the different scenarios i've been at parties and just being this young girl but that was the first time i'd really been hit and i remember
1: violently abused yeah Mm -hmm. actually that's probably not see that's like this is a rabbit trail but like it's an interesting like people separate like sexual and physical violence well like yeah like the words we use like the language around it is like separate but sexual violence is like can be put under that umbrella of like physical violence you know what i mean this is like Mm -hmm. a very like it's honestly like it's kind of one of that's really the worst like not worse, I guess that's probably a bad word, but, like, it's one of those, like, forms of violence that kind of encapsulates, like, all of those, because it's not only physical, it's very mental, it's very emotional, like, it's kind of an all-encompassing, like, just very hard, traumatic form of abuse, you know what I mean? It's, like, Mm -hmm. the ultimate, like, power-based violence, like, that we know of, really, you know what I mean? Like, because, like, even, like, your body, you know, like, the hormones released, like, during sex, you know what I mean, like, those attachment hormones, and, like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know I mean, and, like, the thing it does, like, to your psyche, you know, like, to the power mm-hmm. dynamic, like, even in your relationship or within interpersonally, like, the damages that, like, sexual violence can do to a person is, like, extraordinarily terrible. Changes you know
0: I mean? something in your brain.
1: Yeah. I, mm-hmm. When
0: I was 15, I mean, uh, like, already at 15, I was just so careless sorry i backtracked i was just so already careless sexually like Mm -hmm. i already experimented i was just like i really just don't care i just want to have sex for the first time like whatever i don't really care who it is and that's just awful to think of when you're so young you know and it's such a special experience and i was with like uh two of my friends, and they brought a guy with them, and we all went camping, and I didn't even know this guy. It was the first time I met him, and I lost my virginity to him. And, like, I used to beat myself up about that so much, just being like, why would I give myself to this guy who I didn't even know? Mm-hmm. But, you know, and I can't blame anybody else for that. That was definitely my, you know, choice
3: Yeah. in that.
0: But
1: right.
0: I definitely think how things happened in my past shaped me to where I was yeah. just so careless. I was going to say, like, there's a whatever. nuance to the
1: word choice. You know what I mean? Like the choices you make as like a traumatized 15 year old, you know what I mean? They're like, that's fairly nuanced. You know what I mean? And the person that like, first of all, you're misusing substances. That's kind of messing with your decision-making. First mm-hmm. of all, you're 15. Your frontal cortex is nowhere near developed. That affects <laughs> yeah. your decision-making. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's just so many things about like the choices you make at 15 that are like f- very nuanced, but my uh, my question was going to be like so if there is anybody out there especially like in teen dating violence or um that's like going through like kind of the same things you went through like what would your advice be to somebody that may be facing that today
0: So I stayed with that man for 3 years you know and I let that violence keep going on but I'm not going to just say he was the only violent one as well I take full responsibility that after that first experience i also became violent after that mm-hmm. i played into it just as much because i would get so rageful i would start beating him too and like you know it and it can also this can get misconstrued a lot it can go either way you definitely, know yeah. a man mm-hmm. can definitely be physically abused mm-hmm. as well so if you're a man or woman who's getting physically abused in a relationship you know Reach out to somebody you trust, or go to a local resource center like there is the Leashore Center, which mm-hmm. you don't, which is a place for women who are being abused, mm-hmm. sexually, physically, and anything like that. And you but can
1: actually find out how to tap into those resources on our podcast page. We have a five-part series with the Leashore Center. Uh, we have one that's fully on their victim support services. Uh, it has their crisis that. number and all the things they offer and all of that kind of stuff. So. Definitely. Like, sorry, continue. But I just wanted, <laughs> yeah, just just in case there is somebody out there listening, you know, that could really like actually use these resources and doesn't know how to oh, get yeah. them or like doesn't even really have access to them or like you know just if you can, you know, like definitely find a way to get that crisis line number and make yeah, a phone call.
0: Definitely, especially if you're an adult, you know, and mm-hmm. if you're a teen, there is now teen resources, you know, and there's counselors and people. Anybody who's even close to you, you can go to somebody who you trust who is safe, you know. And if you don't have somebody like that, don't be afraid to go to the police. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that a lot of people have that that misconstrued thing about if you go to the police, you know, you're a rat. Not with abuse and sexual right. abuse. That's completely different,
3: mm-hmm. you
0: know, because if you're getting beaten the crap out of... And it continues to happen. I mean, I know of women who have almost been killed from those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so that night, like I talked about, I was on a lot of Xanax. That was like, I, even when I just had first started out with the Xanax, I went pretty hard on it. So, I mean, I was just, I would always have a pocket full of it or hide it somewhere else. And just, I mean, that was like how I would do that and i would like sneak it go to my car go and do it and stuff like that and um yeah i done a bunch that night and i gave him a haircut it actually turned out decent um (laughs) surprisingly i don't know how but uh yeah he got pissed he he could tell that i was on it for sure and he just socked me right in the face yeah he uh he was just pissed because he could tell that i was like completely out of my mind I mean high as can be and um yeah usually it would make me black out but there was definitely something throughout the night that I remembered it happened because that happened he socks me in the face and I woke up the next morning and I was like I think he legitimately like knocked me out and I turned to him we were laying right next to each other because how I was talking about how we were codependent and had to be around each other like all the time he um or i turned to him and i was like you punched me in the face last night i remember and he was like at first like that that, no no that didn't happen i was like (laughs) jay i'm trying not to say his name i was like i remember like i remember exactly what happened he admitted to it but um yeah just after that it got a lot worse you know like i was having to really hide my xanax use and then i was also using cocaine and we were drinking all the time i mean just all the time because he was a hardcore alcoholic and so you know he would drink he would drink almost like daily or at least like five days out of the week i mean it was just really excessive when he would drink and so of course i love to drink so that brought me into it more and then My parents ended up finding out that I was doing Xanax, and I'm trying to remember how they exactly found out, because even though they worked a lot and whatnot, they worked a lot because they wanted the best for, like, me and my siblings, you know? Mm -hmm. But, um, like, that was, like, their main goal of, like, why they were, you know, having us have babysitters and stuff like that, so... I hope I never sound like I'm, like, ever blaming my parents for any of this because they're great parents. And, uh, yeah, they found out somehow. And, like, I remember my mom was, like, threatening to say, like, hey, maybe we should get you some help. or, Or will I have to send you away? And I was like, no, no, no. Like, I'll change. You know, it's okay. And, yeah, after that, it definitely got worse. Like, I just kept using it, and I was using daily. So when I didn't have Xanax, like, it was really bad. It's it's one of the drugs that if you detox from it, like cold turkey, it can kill you from mm-hmm. seizures and stuff. But um mm-hmm. and I was having seizures from when I would come off of it, but luckily it wasn't I wasn't without it as much, so I didn't have to come off it as right. much, if that makes any sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so mix with that and the cocaine and the alcohol and then of course I'm still smoking daily my addiction just keeps getting worse, and uh, my ex's alcoholism is getting worse, and the abuse is getting worse between both of us, so I'm just in, like, this whirlwind of sh-. And, um, my friend who had introduced me to Xanax, no joke, was like, come over, I have something else you'll like, too. And I'm like, you know what what do i really have to lose right now i mean mm-hmm. i've already like i'm already so addicted to uh, the Xanax like
1: you, so that's like crossing your mind at this point like that you have a problem are you like kind of coming to admit to yourself that you have a problem at this point oh yeah yeah, yeah
0: at this point uh I definitely knew I had a problem. I knew I liked alcohol too much. Like, the first time I had tried it, mm-hmm. I knew there was, like, something awoken in me. But I didn't really want to admit anything. Like, right. I was like, eh, I'm okay. And mm-hmm. But after I tried the Xanax, I knew I had, like, a severe problem. Because I couldn't go without it.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: It was, like, one of those things I had to have it. Right. So, that's when I knew I was like, I, I might have a problem with this. I may be addicted to it.
2: Mm-hmm. I imagine that confrontation with your parents also shed some light cuz I'm sure they were like this is a problem immediately. So did that spur any kind of self-reflection You're like wait a minute maybe I do have a problem but I'm not hiding it good enough. That's the problem.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it kind of was like that. Like I was like okay, I apparently I need to be smarter cuz they mm-hmm. would find our weed and pipes like all the time when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. So they knew that I smoked weed, you know, and they knew that I drank. But yeah. they didn't know how excessively I drank.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But
0: they knew that, like, me and my younger brother smoked weed. But, like, I think in their head, they didn't think that I was going to really, like, move on to something that was a step above that, if that makes mm-hmm.
2: sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, oh, it, it'll probably figure itself out once she has enough, maybe that right. kind of thing. Or, or at least it's not going to progress. I think, honestly, Yeah, it's just,
1: like, maybe, like, hope you know what i mean like yeah. you just really like yeah. genuinely hope that you're not you know what i mean and honestly it's a lot easier to be like oh she wouldn't she wouldn't you know like everybody like every parent says that you know I mean? i'm sure my parents have said it yeah i think not it's kind mean. of blinding too yeah exactly mm-hmm. like, you like, don't
2: want to see that because mm-hmm. you don't want to believe it even exists that's yeah. horrible to
1: me like like oh my my sweet kayla would never do xanax yeah you know yeah uh, and i mean like i feel like a lot of parents do that so it's not like atypical by any means but yeah. Yeah. No, I think a lot of people just don't really want to see it, honestly, and it's hard, dude. That's mm. kind of, in, in ways, understandable. Like that's a kind of tough thing, not kind of tough, very tough thing to look in the face. You know what I mean? As, oh as, yeah. The like, your child is struggling so bad. It's, it's difficult for a parent to watch their kids struggle like that.
0: Yeah, and that's when um. That's when Xanax was prescribed a lot more, like, frequently, since I was Mm -hmm. 16 at that time. Like, you know, like, if you had anxiety, you were most likely prescribed Xanax. Like, that's just when that was Mm
3: -hmm. coming
0: about, and it was very much more accessible. Like, now, it's, I I feel like it wouldn't be as accessible, Mm -hmm. because they found out how truly addictive it Mm -hmm. really is. And, um... Yeah. So also it was just shocking to them to think that like I could get addicted to an anti-anxiety medication, right. you know, but it kind of made sense because, uh, <laughs> because, um, I do have anxiety and but I didn't have it that severe at that time, right. like I had it when I was a child and growing up, it was still, you know, a problem, especially like socially like, if I thought one of my friends was mad at me or something, it would just eat my lunch. I mm-hmm. mean, it was awful. So, it was anxiety in that form, but not like, I don't know, the other forms of anxiety, if that makes right, sense. Yeah. It's almost like abusing the medication made it worse.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It made my anxiety even worse.
1: So, how do you handle your anxiety now in recovery? For I mean, obviously, you're probably not taking Xanax anymore. So I mean. No, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, how do you manage it now? Like, what's... So, like, I mean, because I'm sure you still have it. I mean, I'm sure it's not, like, just woke up one day and it was gone. Oh, yeah. So, and like, Is there any, like, s- mechanisms or anything you use to kind of help with it now?
0: Yeah. So, the doctor we have here uh, at the intake office, Dr. Dale, he, um, he has helped me with medications that are, you know, obviously non-narcotic, non-addictive, and that mm-hmm. are healthy to take for anxiety and depression because I do have, you know mental health disorders too Mm -hmm. which is such a huge thing in recovery too Mm -hmm. a lot of people have like not just the substance abuse and alcoholism but they have um also mental health disorders which and if and if that gets taken care of too it can really help like fuel your recovery and keep you going because once (laughs) i got that taken care of i didn't even realize how bad my like anxiety and depression was Until I started taking medication for it. And, like, after a week or two, I realized this is helping a Mm -hmm. lot. So, I take medication daily. And, yeah, it's just... I I believe in ending the stigma on mental health. Definitely. You know?
1: Yeah. I think they're kind of... When it comes to, like, that stigma, you know what I mean? It's one of those... It's an interesting one, too, because we've come a long way in it. But at the same time, like... It's kind of the like, same as addiction, you know what I mean? Like, we've come quite a ways in it, but at the same time, like, especially here, it's still a pretty difficult thing to navigate, you know what I mean? Like, numerous people that, like, don't want to see a counselor or quote-unquote therapist, whatever it might be to you, you know what I mean? Because, like, we, because it as like a weakness, you know what I mean? Same thing as addiction, like, why can't you just stop? oh yeah it's a weakness you know like oh you can why can't you just like figure this out yourself you know what i mean like why
0: don't you have more willpower
1: yeah you just need to go on a walk you know what i mean you should get outside (laughs) that kind of
0: get into nature i'm like what is nature gonna do for me i am addicted to right yeah
1: (laughs) i mean it's like and that may work for some people you know but uh, like the average human being the fact is is like Sometimes we need some help. You know, I tell everybody all the time that everyone should see a therapist. Even your therapist should probably see a therapist. You know what I mean? I like, agreed. Everybody, <laughs> like, it's just somebody at the least. You know, it's just somebody to really talk to. You know, a third party to either keep you accountable or just, you know, tell you that like, encourage you in ways like somebody that like you don't expect to encourage you, like a parent or a friend or something like that. You know? Yeah. Just like it's real, like a real genuine like third party person to really like express yourself with or mm-hmm. two i guess yeah either way but yeah no i think i think like addressing the mental health aspect of it too is super important just because they do coincide so often
2: um, mental health problems and addiction so yeah no it's i think that's super important i do think it's kind of strange the framing of it um of being depressed or or um seeing that as uh, you know people can have all sorts of things that just don't work right. Like maybe you can't breathe really well through your nose or something, some random (laughs) ailment. Right. And maybe you need something to help with that. It's like, well, maybe some people don't produce as much dopamine or serotonin. Like that has to be possible just (laughs) because it exists. It has to be possible. Or even people who were in addiction who maybe caused some, some damage because of what they were doing, but now they want to enjoy a life where they can not be depressed. And not have to deal with, like, the stigma of that, of maybe you have to have medication for now or maybe even forever to make you feel normal. And I don't think that's a problem because there's parts that are just lacking sometimes, you know? Yeah. And if it makes your life more fulfilling and your life better, I don't think it's a a problem. Or I don't think it should be a problem. I don't think it should be stigmatized because there's so many other things that people are missing that aren't a big deal, that everyone has accepted. Like, Mm -hmm. it's, it's weird to me
0: like if you're missing a leg you get (laughs) a fake leg it's like nobody's gonna be like
2: that's weak you know right it's like yes i'm lacking something so i needed something for that yeah (laughs) like and then yeah
0: it's no i completely agree like mental health is definitely real Mm -hmm, it's real mm -hmm. and a lot of people struggle with it yeah me and my friends work really hard to like end the stigma on mental health disorders, for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, and I think it's important for anybody that's listening that, even if you don't necessarily have like a substance abuse problem or you have an alcohol like an alcohol abuse problem, but you know you're just some mental health stuff that you feel like may be impacting your life in a way that's not necessarily positive. Like, there's no there's there's no reason not to go get help. First of all. Second of all, there's no shame behind it. There's no reason to be guilted by it, yeah. and there's there's people in this community that will support you in that, and those are the people whose voices need to be heard, because it's just crucial. It's super important for people in your well-being that sometimes you need a little help, and it's okay to come get that help. It's right in there with self-care. Yep. Exactly.
2: like taking care of yourself, so you can even help others if that's your goal. Like you got to start with you at least somewhat. Mm-hmm. And be all right enough to help other people out. Yeah.
0: Exactly. I completely agree.
1: So as we're progressing here, so, where does it go from here? You're 16, you're still in this relationship. Xanax is a, well, drugs are a problem. Well, you're, your
2: friend, your friend called you over, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because they said something yes. be better. Yeah, that's where Yeah,
0: being. yeah, they said, you know, since you've, like, really... Like, the first night they introduced me to Xanax, I was just off and running. I was buying it from their uh, mother, actually, which is, like, awful, you know? But, of course, I, like, we'll just leave it at that. And, um, what was crazy, too, about the Xanax, I just remembered this, um... Uh, This friend who had called me over, you know, my younger brother, who is like two years younger than me, so I'm 16, he's 14, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, he was really into like riding dirt bikes and stuff, and one of his best friends literally lived a few houses down. Mm -hmm. So my brother would ride his dirt bike by that house all the time, you know, and he knew that my friend's mom sold Xanax. Mm -hmm. My brother knew that I was acting weird. So, if he ever saw my car in the driveway, the first thing he would do is call my parents. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, Kayla's getting high again. Mm-hmm. So, I would like either have to hide my car or I'd like have somebody drop me off at the house. I'd walk up, get it, and then I'd run and like go. Cause I mean, he was like legitly super worried. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it was a huge problem for me. And then when this friend called me over, what he had was methamphetamine. Mm-hmm and i was off and running again so now i i don't just have a problem with you know Xanax cocaine marijuana alcohol like pills mm-hmm. you know uh, like prescription painkillers as well i was experimenting with those as well and um oh my goodness after the first time i tried meth i was just i was like hooked instantly again just Mm -hmm. like everything else I was hooked instantly and after that I was just yeah off and running again and eventually I had to tell my ex like hey I'm not just on like the Xanax I'm on this too you know Mm -hmm. eventually he got curious too and he wanted to try all these things you know especially cocaine and like Mm -hmm. and eventually that led to him trying meth with me as well too like i would be so uh the term is like twacked out you know right. like i would be so spun out and twacked out that i had this little dog he was a pomeranian named Zachary. yeah he had a human name but i thought it was cute like
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you had to justify that before you judge me <laughs> yeah. it's cute
0: i'm like listen <laughs> he was like my best friend and uh he passed away um a few years ago, uh, one of the times after I got a rehab, but I'll get into that later. Um, he like had a lot of health problems because he was overfed, and uh, <coughs> that's something else I just felt awful about, like that he was even overfed and stuff like that. But I was just sitting there, just hitting the pipe, hitting the pipe, like that's all I was focused on, and my dog was sitting there, like having a seizure, sick. And you know what I did? I looked at him and I kind of like, I almost started crying, but then I just kind of looked at him and I kind of shut the bathroom door just a little bit. I was like, I'll be with you in a minute. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I just started hitting the pipe again. Like that's how, how much I just wanted to do meth and xanax and drink and just be in peace like i couldn't even see anybody else but myself at this Mm -hmm. time like that's how selfish i was you know and every dime i was being given was um was uh you know being spent on drugs Mm -hmm. and booze Oh crap. <laughs> we'll you'll have to it. We'll bleep it out. You'll bleep it out. Okay, cool. I'm like <laughs> <I> can't help <laughs> it. I'm like I can't keep saying his first initial. It's funny. He uh He was mostly like supplying the alcohol, but yeah, once he got into meth and cocaine and Xanax with me, which I feel awful about, you know, but also I feel like people do have a choice, you know, like even if somebody's doing it around you, you know you are you know, nobody can pressure you into it. So I've had to, I've had to really teach myself that because I can't feel shame about mm-hmm. somebody else, you know, joining into the lifestyle I was choosing. If that makes any yeah. sense, because um, because I definitely didn't force him, but I won't lie, like it, I was encouraged,
3: mm-hmm.
0: encouraging him. Right. So I still, I do still feel like a little bit of shame for it because I was lonely and I wanted like a using partner, you know, mm-hmm. like, I was like, it's kind of boring doing this alone, right. you know, like, yeah. get in here, let's do it together, and like, and he already has a problem with alcoholism, you know, it right. just, it would make sense that he had a problem with addiction too, yeah. then we were both just off and running, right. the, the cocaine, meth, and uh Xanax became a huge problem for both of us. Like, the Xanax stayed a huge problem for me, but he got into cocaine and meth really bad.
2: Did you guys have jobs at this point, or how would you make enough to afford that? Because I'm assuming it's really expensive.
0: It was really expensive, and I'm not going to lie. Like, this is awful, and if my parents listen to this, like, sorry parents, I love you guys. But, um, I mean, they were giving me, like, quite a bit of money,
1: you know? And I would, and, like... Thinking you were, like, sheltering and feeding yourself? Yeah, yeah. Pretty much. Mm-hmm.
0: Pretty much. And, uh, like I would say, Hey, I need this money, you know, for this and that. And then when they found out I was using Xanax, like the, uh, money's definitely got cut short for mm-hmm. quite some time, but I convinced them I was doing better after a while, So the money started flowing back to me and that guy uh, gotten a job. He, um, he actually had a job. I had to think about that for a second. Cause also I've had like, brain injuries and overdoses and stuff. So my memory is awful. So sometimes I have to actually, like, really think about what has happened. He did have a job. Yeah. And so when my parents weren't giving me money, you know, he would have money from his job and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. So after I'd gotten into meth, um, you know, we were off and running and using and all that stuff. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Like, our whole relationship was just codependency using and drinking and sex and that was like it you know like we were just like that was what it consisted of it was like a really sick toxic relationship so if I jump forward yeah I'm into all of the all these things and um I don't think my parents have found out that I was on um on meth but the abuse got a lot worse between both of us like mm-hmm. he was beating me i was beating him etc because like i don't like to just say i was being beaten because i was definitely uh hashing it out as much as it was being given mm-hmm. too so if that makes sense yeah
3: mm-hmm.
0: and um no nah, it was just getting worse and eventually two of my good friends were like no you need to leave this fool you know and uh like i was being told that by everybody literally everybody people could tell that like there was stuff going on i have a scar in my ear right here because i uh, he put a cigarette out in my ear like that's how severe the abuse was <laughs> you know it was really severe on both ends and um one night we were sitting at my dad's house because my dad I literally hadn't seen my dad in I think like six, seven months because I was just with that guy all the time at my mom's apartment or his mom's house. And we went over there and I was detoxing off of Xanax and meth and all that, like everything I was doing. I mean, I always had so many substances in my body. It's like really hard to tell even what I was doing. and. Um, I think I was going through his phone. Like, we that's how codependent we were, you know? We would go through each other's phones and do stuff like that. And I just turned to him, and I started beating the crap out of him. I mean, like, really badly. Like, I kicked him in the ribs, like, punched him in the face, you know? Like, multiple times. And was just beating the crap out of him. And then you know, it was pretty severe, but we had to just kind of be like, okay, we got to ignore this until like tomorrow. And he ended up leaving. And that's when my friends brought me to my mom's apartment and they tried detoxing me themselves. That was a nightmare. I feel, (laughs) I feel really bad for them. And I'm sure they know who they are. If they (laughs) were to listen to this, they'd be like, yep. Well, sadly, actually one of them has passed away now, who was one of my best friends, but he tried to, but, um, A few days go by, and it was Christmas Eve, and my dad calls me really early, like 8 a.m. I'm like, what do you want, you know? Mm -hmm. And he's like, "Uh, fair warning, the cops are coming to the apartment right now. Don't tell them anything. You need to be, like, I don't know what you did, but don't tell them anything. Mm -hmm. You know, stay quiet. And I'm like, already spun out. I mean, I would wake up, I think that morning I woke up and four of my friends were sitting on my bed, like literally just four of my friends are sitting on my bed already passing the pipe. Mm-hmm. So I get up it's Christmas Eve. And I'm like, yay, you know, Christmas Eve, get to get high right when I wake up. Like, that was my life. You know, mm-hmm. that's what my lifestyle had turned into.
1: Yay, Tuesday, get to get high. <laughs> yeah. Get yeah. Like, this time, it's yay. a holiday. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yay, it's oh, noon. Yeah. I'm going to get high. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's 1 o'clock. I'm going to get high. Like oh, yeah.
3: mm-hmm. I was
0: always high I was, mm-hmm. or drunk. It was, like, inevitable. And um so Trooper shows up at my house, and he's like, uh, I need to ask you a few questions. I have pictures of <laughs> that guy <laughs> <laughs> that cracks me up. Um, and it, they were bad. I mean, half of his face was like bruised, black and blue. His ribs were completely bruised. Like he definitely had injuries, you know. And I'm, and, yeah, they were from me, and uh, and I can admit that now because I went to jail for it. <laughs> which is what happened next (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) like i'm Mm -hmm. like don't worry i'm not incriminating myself saying this like i already went to jail for it (laughs) but um uh yeah so the the trooper was talking to me and you know how my dad told me like don't say anything
1: you said something oh Oh, yeah yeah,
0: oh Oh, i let it all out like i was like i was already high on meth and Mm -hmm. then i was like on Xanax too, as usual. I was right. literally always on Xanax.
1: There is actually something really interesting out of this, like <laughs> some personal experience, like not using meth, but like being around people that are using meth, is that there is absolutely like no way that you're gonna be able to keep that quiet. Like <laughs> Not say anything is like is the most impossible thing mm-hmm. for somebody that's high on meth. That's gonna be like the third thing out of their mouth it was was me but it wasn't me though it wasn't my fault that's the second part is it like there's an an admittance and then Uh like the realizing that you just admitted it and then like backtracking and then like trying not to give it away but though you've already given it away Mm -hmm. it's like just just endless shoveling yourself into a deeper hole yes yeah that's pretty
0: much what I did and also on top of that meth didn't just make me super honest like you're saying like that's literally how I was but Xanax did the yeah. same thing. I, think I was, it was like, like
1: everyone that I've that been around—they just think out loud. You know what I mean? <laughs> so like even because yeah. like, they have, like, so we get to an extent you know, where people are so high, have to, like they have to talk themselves through like life. Like oh, I'm just gonna, like they will say out loud like when they go on like to the next room. like, Oh, I just got to go in here. Or, oh, I just got to like, like. Oh, I'm just this Yeah, yeah. Just, like, yeah. Just walk he them has to narrate it. Yeah. just gotta narrate it. It's just out, literally it Like, dude, they just gotta like walk themselves through life. Oh like, yeah, because there's just a way you, like, I think you get to a point, and like, I've never been to this point, where you're like, you're not, you're so, you're so high, you're so unsure of what you're doing, and like, you have to verbalize it just to like really make sure you're doing it. You know what I mean? Like, that's actually what's going on. Like. Yeah, I gotta. I just gotta go over here. Oh, I'm just. I'm just gonna do this really fast, and like, there's nobody around. But yeah. Anyway.
0: Oh yeah, and so both those drugs, just like you're talking about, it was like a mixture of truth serum. Mm-hmm. So I just get up to the door and I'm like, oh my gosh, it is the trooper, you know? And like, open the door. Hi. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, he's asking me these questions. Like, here's these pictures, and I turn to him and I just go, well, he hit me first. Yeah. And he goes. He almost looks at me like, are you stupid? Like, you just admitted you did this. And I was like, yeah, like, he hit me first. He's been beating the crap out of me, too. Like, at that time, I didn't want to take responsibility for what I did because I felt like it was wrong that he was beating me as well and there was going to be no repercussions for him. Like, I was seen as the monster at this point, if that makes sense. Like, it was just... I, I, like, wanted him to feel the wrath as well. Right. And, but at that time, the trooper's just, like, you're under arrest, you know, for assault. Assault in the third degree. Assault in the second degree. Um, I can't remember which one of those is assault with a deadly weapon. But, um, yeah, three felonies. Yeah. I get arrested for three felonies. Because, I, well, I didn't mention this. I threw a flashlight at him. Yeah, yeah I was just, I would be... I was very violent mm-hmm. when I would come off of uh, off of Xanax and meth. Mm-hmm. Because it just made me really violent. And um, how I felt when I was coming off of benzos, too, was just... I felt like I was crawling out of my skin, and I, like, had to have it. Like, the meth wasn't as bad, but um, benzos, definitely. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm in the back of the cop car. He actually <laughs> cuffed my hands to the front of me because he goes mm. you can text who you want you know to tell them that you're going to jail mm-hmm. it's like this <laughs> 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 like what <an laughs> okay whatever yeah i'm gonna definitely text people tell them i'm going to jail because i am and um i'm 17 this time you know and john's uh that guy whatever <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna happen anyway <laughs> don't worry it's my job I, I don't mind that is so funny uh his mom is the one who called the cops because she like she had known like we didn't have a terrible relationship with me and his mom because mine and <laughs> my ex, our relationship was so bad. Our parents just couldn't like be blindsided to it. So, yeah, that happened. So they ended up taking me to juvie and I was there for two weeks and my parents had to get me the most expensive lawyer to even get me out of there within two weeks. You know, mm-hmm. I, I should have been there for a very, very long time. And, um, yeah, so then my parents pretty much know the extent of like their relationship, you know, and what's going on. And I'm being charged with three felony assault charges so, like, even as a juvenile, these charges are substantial. And so, what's crazy, too, is I was 17, and it was in December. Like, so, I got arrested on Christmas Eve at, like, 8.30 a.m. Nice. So, I was in juvenile hall for Christmas Eve, Christmas, New Year's Eve, New Year's, and, you know, so on for only a little bit of time. But, um, yeah, because of my lawyer, I got to get out, and, yeah, I'm having to deal with being on felony juvenile probation now with a massive drug habit Mm -hmm. and my alcoholism, and also there's a no-contact order with my ex. Right. So I'm dealing with all this stuff. And no joke, when I got arrested, my two friends were there who were trying to detox me. Uh, Rest in peace to one of my friends because they just passed away actually recently, Mm -hmm. which is... Really sad, but um, I had stashed away Xanax in one of my backpacks when they arrested me. When I heard them, the trooper knocking at the door, I was like, <laughs> 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 I threw it in my backpack. backpacks. So I was like, I'm gonna need that later, that's for sure. And I wasn't gonna try to smuggle it into the juvenile right. hall. That yeah. wouldn't have been very good. And so, literally the night I get out, you know, I <laughs> turned to my dad get me home, I need to smoke a cigarette. Like, mm-hmm. get me home, I need to I need to go do this and this and this. And, um, of course, they're just pissed off at me because they just had to spend so much money to even get me a lawyer. And I'm super ungrateful, selfish, not even realizing that this is going to cost probably, like, God even knows. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And it was two months until my 18th birthday. That's the other thing that was mm-hmm. just raining down on me. So, I'm, yeah, charged with three felonies, and it's two months till my 18th birthday. Mm-hmm. So, I'm just in a hole, And I get home, and of course, the first thing I do, is smoke a cigarette, and then I go and snort some Xanax. Because mm-hmm. that was just what I knew to do. Right. And, um, so, yeah, I'm on the probation, and I was actually... I'm not going to lie. In the beginning of it, I was doing decently. Mm-hmm. What was crazy was they would test me for drugs but they wouldn't test me for alcohol. Yeah. So when I figured that out I was like he hey, hey. You know like I was like I can drink like nonstop and they're not going to even know. Mm-hmm. Right. And so for a little while while I was on the you know felony juvenile probation I uh, was just drinking and trying not to do dope but, uh, you know, eventually that wears away, especially yeah. if you're drinking excessively mm-hmm. and just thinking, you know what would be better with this drink is some
2: dope. Mm-hmm. you know?
0: <laughs> that sounds yeah. I'll just drink and think done.
2: about it. Like, that's <laughs> not going to last long. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For now. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, for now.
0: So I'm having to, like, and at this time, even though I have a no contact order, uh, my ex is sneaking over to my house in the window seeing me yeah i know i know you're looking at me like i'm crazy <laughs> no, I like, I was, I know. what is
2: he is right? very confused yeah.
0: oh totally no it's it, it's confused every one of my friends too was confused two of my friends saw me together with him texted me and was like you're an idiot <laughs> like like literally we have no clue what you're doing all you do is get high and get back with this toxic dude. Like you're just you're setting yourself up for failure. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so he's sneaking over, and then while I'm just drinking excessively on this, uh, you know, probation. But um, me and my ex are officially broken up, so I'm just you know getting drunk and hooking up with like other people and stuff because I've been with my ex for three years, you know, so. Mm-hmm at this point um i'm trying to think it was like two and a half three years close to that but uh yeah i'm just like okay i'm gonna experience life now but really i wasn't experiencing life i was just drinking having sex and then eventually it led me right back to smoking Mm -hmm. meth you know and doing xanax and everything Mm -hmm. else that i was doing but in my head of course i had to be smart about it okay Meth gets out of your system quicker, Mm -hmm. and then Xanax doesn't, and then I can drink all the time, but we got to plan this out, you know? So I'm, like, exhausted from having to scheme when my drug tests are going to be and stuff like that, and then me and my ex are just sneaking around together all the time again, and um, at this point, I had smoked heroin too nice. like i'm gonna be honest right. throughout this whole time i had smoked heroin <laughs> like mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you know i not like uh, yeah. excessively but i had already tried it you know right. so if it was around i would smoke heroin mm-hmm. but it wasn't what i was going to right. spend my money on yeah. you know because like meth <laughs> was way more important to me at that time
3: mm-hmm.
0: but um i pretty much tried like every drug at this point and so I have this drug dealer now too, who just I'm going through all the time for my coke and my meth and yeah. doing all this with them. And I'm I'm literally on my probation. I'm I've passed the drug test so far because I've timed it out right. And my dealer gets arrested, and they take his phone.
1: Mm-mm. Nice.
0: Mm-mm. So I get called into the probation office you yeah. know and he doesn't need, i don't even think my po knew yet but i get a call from my lawyer you d-. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. like what did you find out <clears throat> there was literally texts printed out oh, because yeah. i was a dumb kid i didn't even use code words mm-hmm. i was like do you have any zans or some cocaine
2: mm-hmm.
0: like what
3: <laughs>
2: or just call the guy
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was dumb as.
2: Your dealer's like, man, her burner phone has a lot of minutes. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm
0: in there and like, I I was literally forced to stay clean for a while after that because I was Mm -hmm. getting drug tested twice a week. Yeah. I go in there and he was like, so you have violated uh fifteen out of your eighteen, uh, you know, like juvenile rules for your probation, like, mark this off, mark this off, and, um, yeah, so I'm going in there getting drug tested, like, twice a week at this point, I'm already 18, but they're keeping me on the, uh, juvenile probation, (coughs) and, um, eventually they start, you know, the drug tests start dying down again, because I've stayed clean for a few weeks, but I'm drinking excessively still, like, that was my thing, if I would, like, use alcohol to come off of drugs, and I would use drugs to come off of alcohol. (laughs) Like, that was, like, it was just... I
2: better quit this addiction with this one. (laughs) That was not as fun anymore. We're going to quit that addiction with this one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah.
0: exactly. And, uh, yeah, so I'm 18. They're just drug testing me twice a week, but they die down again. And um, it was my thing to always go out to Nikiski to, like, go and get my stuff and whatnot, my drugs and and just go drink with friends and um at this point i think i was still seeing that guy mm-hmm. on and off and um yeah i was out in a Kiski one night i was 18 years old this is where the story gets like a little cray cray mm-hmm. and uh
1: <laughs>
2: this
0: is where it gets a little cray cray yeah <laughs> this is where it gets a
2: little cray cray all that rest was just a warm up and
0: <laughs> and yeah the rest <laughs> no no like this is this was like a warm up like <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'm 18. I got to Nikiski, and at this time, I think I had had the same vehicle, or I had had two vehicles that my parents helped me get, you know, and God bless them. They literally have only wanted me to have a good life, my whole life. Like, that's Mm -hmm. all they wanted, you Mm -hmm. know? And, and I just turn out, like, neither of my parents struggle with alcoholism or addiction.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: And, like, my little brother and I, oh, I... At this time, (laughs) I forgot to say this too, like my younger brother and I, when I had first tried out, you know, like the drinking and smoking pot, we got into like spice. Mm -hmm. So my little brother, like, you know, back in the day had like gotten addicted to spice too, you know? And at this time I didn't even know that my older brother struggled with, Mm -hmm. you know, any sort of problems with alcohol or anything else, but. I think the difference with my brothers is is that they can, like, just kind of push it to the side and be like, okay, you know, we can stop for right now. But in my mind, I'd still consider them <coughs> addicts.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: They just don't, you know, I don't even know how to explain right. it, really, if that makes any sense. So,
2: like, when they're in it, they're all about it, but then they'll be like, all right, that's enough, and then just kind of slow it down, kind of. Yeah. But then when they're in it, it's like, oh, holy smokes, that's full-blown. But then it just kind of comes in waves. Is that more or less?
0: Yeah, pretty much. So I was thinking about it and like, yeah, both my parents don't struggle with that. But they had like three children that have struggled with it. You know, of mm-hmm. course, mine, me the most severe. But my brother still did struggle with, you know, some sort of addiction or alcoholism at, at one point, I would like mm-hmm. to say. <laughs> and um, yeah, so anyways... I'm, uh, out in Nikiski, and I'm at my friend's house, who I would always go to. This is when my drug test had, like, died down a lot, probably, like, once a month, once every two months, because I had, like, made sure that I only drank throughout my drug test when I got caught really bad with the text messages and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I'm out there, and I'm already just screwed up on Xanax, and, um... It was my two friends who owned, like, the trailer. We were in a trailer. And um, and this guy, who I didn't know, he was, like, probably in his 40s. And um, we're all just sitting there, you know, and he pulls out some heroin. Mm-hmm. He's like, but he's doing it in a completely different way, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And a week before this, I found a bag of needles in my ex's room. Yeah. Because he had moved to an apartment, and I was like, Mm -hmm. what are these, you know? So a week before this, he's like, using with a needle is just so much different. You Mm -hmm. know, you're going to have to try it. Like, it's just so much different. (laughs) And I'm like, are you serious? Like, (laughs) no, you know? Like, I'm thinking in my head, like, kind of like a, no, maybe no. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, like Mm -hmm. I was still super curious about it. So, sorry if I go so back and forth. I always, no, no, no it's because of my memory.
2: Oh, you're fine. It's all consistent. Yeah, no worries. You're yeah,
0: good. just, um, yeah, a week before this guy pulled out the heroin, that's when I found the needles in my mm-hmm. ex's room. And so, I'd already been, like, told how great it was intravenously using, mm-hmm. but I had never tried it yet. I still hadn't tried it with my ex because he was um, intravenously using meth
3: mm-hmm.
0: from when I introduced him to meth. And I had no idea about it until that moment. And so I'm sitting in the trailer and I was like, look over at the guy and he's, you know, about to cook up some heroin. And I was like, you know, can I try some of that? Like, and I'm talking about smoking, you know, like, can I smoke some of that or something? Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, um, I don't do it that way. Like, I'm going to be honest. And um, if you want to do some of it, you can do it my way, mm-hmm. you know. And, um, so we called my friend and was like, or my friend who was in the trailer, like we called them out like, hey, can you bring us some fresh rigs, Mm -hmm. which is syringes, you know? And, um, that was the night that I think it was like a few months after my 18th birthday. And, uh, it's the first time I intravenously tried heroin. And I remember it so vividly. Like, Mm -hmm. I won't go into details, so if anybody's, you know, listening to this, they don't get, like, triggered crazy. But, I mean, at that moment, nothing else mattered to me. Mm -hmm. Xanax didn't matter. Meth didn't matter. Alcohol didn't matter. Like, nothing mattered. Mm -hmm. Heroin was, like, all that mattered to me anymore at, like, that point on. Mm -hmm. That's, like, how strong that drug is. Right. And after I tried it, I was just, you know, out of my mind. I remember holding on to the walls, trying to walk, and I couldn't, going outside, barfing up everything I had in my stomach, mm-hmm. and then just, you know, um, passing out on the couch. I woke up, like, 15 hours later, and the guy who I had used with was, like, sitting right next to me, like, you know cooking up some more because it must have been like when he woke up too i just remember waking up though and i had a terrible gut feeling i just looked at him and i didn't know what had happened you know since i'd passed out but i knew something had happened that wasn't okay if that makes sense Mm -hmm. like i had that i had that's one of the only gut feelings i've had where i'm like yeah i believe that Mm -hmm. and uh I ran out of that house so quickly with my purse. and I remember just sitting in my car going, I need to get more of that, you know, Mm -hmm. more heroin. And that was like where like, I think I, besides Xanax and meth, I would go to any lengths to get high. Mm -hmm. That's when it like truly started, you know, with, I don't even know how to explain it it's so hard to explain because I dropped everything else just to get
2: high on heroin, mm-hmm. you know? We've seen it from the scientific standpoint that it basically takes over the the reward centers of your brain in such a way that <clears throat> the only thing that you desire is more heroin. Mm-hmm. I mean, food, shelter, all that just gets put to the side. The main priority is that, and we've heard of people living mm-hmm. under tents or ba- under tarp in like their parents property just cuz it gets to that point it sounds like you're going through the beginning of that too right where you're at if nothing else really matters i just want to have that feeling again cuz all throughout listening to your story it sounds like there's this kind of desire for the most comprehensive comfort if that makes sense like yes you you're you're t- mixing these different drugs and trying to figure out how to not have to feel bad feelings cuz you had a lot of anxiety and a, a lot of struggles kind of in, um, that you're looking, if, if that's accurate. I don't oh know yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, and then you had your, your boyfriend who's taking over that loneliness because you don't want to be lonely and you don't want to feel undervalued. So you got to have someone that you stick with that will put up with you no matter where you are. And I mean, yeah. that turns out to be someone who's basically on the same level of, of pain. And so you've been together so long. So then they separate. And this sounds like the first time you found the one thing that just seems to get rid of all those feelings that you have been wanting to not feel, bingo, and and why and and to have food or shelter or whatever and feel those feelings doesn't sound like they'd be worth it to you at that point. Mm-hmm. You would much rather just get them away because, like, what's hunger if you don't care mm-hmm. or yeah. any of that? Basically, I mean that's that's what it sounds like. So this sounds like it's it's covering all those bases for you, which is really bad to figure out, basically. Because I mean, I am assuming it starts to take over your life.
0: Oh, it took over everything, like. I think that was so spot on how you explained that too. It was like the first time, the first time I did heroin, it was like a warm hug I had never felt before in my life that covered me, that put my broken pieces back together. You know, I just never felt that kind of comfort in my mm-hmm. life. I was like, I don't need a man. I don't need my family. I don't freaking need meth or Xanax or booze anymore. I just need heroin. That's Mm -hmm. all I need, and I'll be so happy for the rest of my life.
2: Yeah, it's like it loved you, like, in ways that you couldn't find in your life. I mean, at that point, especially.
0: Oh, yeah, and it was, when I look at, like, my drug history, too, it's very weird how I went from, you know, stimulants and and benzos and uppers Mm -hmm. just straight to heroin, but that's how it happened. And then my story just got... I mean, it just gets insane. I start Mm -hmm. hanging out with a crazy crowd, obviously, trying to figure out, you know, how to get more heroin every day. I pawned pretty much everything Mm -hmm. I had, like every guitar I had and whatnot. And um, I start hanging out with uh, these two people who are obviously in this crowd. And um, they asked to, like, come over to my dad's house once because I was still living at my dad's, and they robbed him, like, pretty badly. Mm-hmm. Like, severely. And, um, and so that ended up being just a whole fiasco, you know? Obviously, they had a, uh, my mom had found, like, a needle and a spoon and stuff in my car before that, but that's when they really knew, like, she is strung out.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And so that was a whole fiasco in itself of Mm -hmm. just, like, them robbing my house, and then I have no trust at that point. And um, I'm seeing a counselor at this point, and he suggests, like, hey, maybe we should find out a state somewhere for you to go to treatment, you know? Mm -hmm. And so um, he finds this place in California, and I end up going there. And I went there three separate times within, like, I'd like to say, you know, about a year. Mm -hmm. Like, I would stay sober for about, like, three, three and a half months. I would go out on the streets of California, be shooting up in an alleyway with somebody who I just met. Mm -hmm. Like, getting high. And then I would go back into their residential, go back into their sober living, relapse again. Mm -hmm. You know, go back in. We all ended up, all of us women ended up getting kicked out the third time I was in there because we all went to a strip club (laughs) because I decided that'd be fun. But Mm -hmm. but because of that, uh, somebody who I'd gotten close to, you know, that whole time I was in there, it was almost a span of a year, probably like 10 months in Mm -hmm. and out of there for about 10 months. So close to a year. I was close. And, uh, because of being kicked out, one of my friends after a week, after I had gotten back to Alaska here, and uh, I started using instantly, of course, again. Because I that third time, I was using in the sober living. Mm-hmm. Like I was using in the sober living bathroom, sitting there yeah. shooting up dope I had just gotten from this random guy at Walgreens
2: mm-hmm. or something.
0: Like, it was just, it had taken over everything.
2: Did you notice any kind of a pattern while you were there? I mean, <clears throat> you went... Those three separate times, but was there any kind of a build up or kind of feeling or something that warned you that you're gonna relapse soon, or did you notice any kind of familiar things?
0: Yeah, definitely. Just the obsession to use. It was just always there like it I I, had, I wasn't working the steps either. like there's mm-hmm. the steps in a program that's anonymous that I can't really say, but uh right. <laughs> but I'm sure we all know what you know the steps are. And um, I would do the first three and then
1: I would just stop. Yeah.
0: I would never do my fourth step. Yeah. And that's what brought me out that's every an single time. Step.
1: What's it, the fourth that, step? Um, I think the fourth step is uh, oh, uh, a moral uh, inventory, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of yeah. ourselves.
1: Hmm. That's, that seems to usually be the tough one. And that's a <laughs> tough one for everybody, you know, oh, Ian. Mean? Yeah. Because that's a lot of
2: especially if you have hard, a lot of guilt yeah a lot of well, want to to face
1: reflection and so like if you have to see some of these things that you're not so proud of and in a very honest light and not like oh well this is why i did this so it's okay but like you're like oh and here's what i did and let that settle on me yeah like that's that's tough dude that's that's i would imagine i don't know i've never done the steps but like mm-hmm. one of the hardest that's hard for anybody any human being that doesn't necessarily have like a lot of shame or guilt but just like that exists for a long enough time that, like, like that's going to be a tough one to look yourself in the mirror and, like, really dissect all the all the nasty stuff you've done over the last seven you, years.
2: I'm sorry. No, Especially if you need the steps. It's going to be yeah. even worse because if you're at that point, odds are there's some things that you really regret. Otherwise, oh, yeah. you probably wouldn't be doing the steps because bad, bad enough things haven't happened yet. Mm-hmm. Not that that always is the way that it goes, but usually there's some kind of rock bottom. Of, mm-hmm. of some kind that people right. get to and and yeah so i'm at i can see why that would be a step that you're like right. and so now that
1: you've worked through all the steps what what was it like to actually like that fourth step especially to actually like get through that and like get to move on like what was that feeling
0: it's freeing i mm-hmm. mean honestly because you know you make a searching and fearless moral inventory of yourself and then uh step five is uh, they're connected, you know, mm-hmm. you to God, to yourself, and another human being, the exact nature of your wrongs. So you tell another person and God, like, those things on that fourth step you've done. And this last one I did, you know, mm-hmm. there was some stuff where I was like, I don't want to talk about this, you know. Mm-hmm. A lot of sexual assault, a lot of rape, a lot of, you know, heartache, and just these wrongs I had done to people. I mean, I was you know stealing and doing all kinds of other stuff I had to do to just get what I needed and I'll get Mm -hmm. into that but like you know with also I was a prostitute at the end of my addiction Mm -hmm. and I was stealing from my parents and I was homeless and Mm -hmm. you know it just it it declined so much like if somebody thinks they're at a rock bottom and they're like, oh, this couldn't get any worse. Oh, it gets worse. Mm-hmm. You
2: just don't have the imagination for it. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: I thought shooting up with a random person in a California alleyway was like my rock bottom. No, not even close. Mm. It's like it can always get worse. Right. And after I'd gotten home, you know, a week later, one of the girls who I'd gotten super close to for that 10 months, uh, she overdosed mm-hmm. and she died. And uh, that destroyed me because I was the one who thought of us going to, like, the strip club, you know, and having, like, a good time. And, uh, yeah, she ended up dying from, like, a choice I had suggested that we all decided to do. But Mm -hmm. still, it just, I had to work through that a lot, too. And that was definitely on my fourth step as Mm -hmm. well, you know. (laughs) Like, there's just a lot of things that go on to the fourth step. And of course after that I'm off and running. Right. Too.
2: Yeah, I, that's just stack that guilt upon guilt. I mean, you got these different situations that keep building up and yeah, that makes sense that you because you're just making more feelings that you want to escape. Yeah. Like, right? I mean. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: After you I'd gotten
2: fuel for the wire. Pretty much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Pretty much, dude. Uh, oh, that's so funny. Uh, yeah, at this point, I was 19. I had already spent like Christmas, New Year's, and uh, my birthday in treatment. Mm-hmm. And that. In jail. Yeah, in yeah. jail before yeah, that, the yeah. year I'd spent Christmas, New Year's, and mm-hmm. in jail. So then this year I'd spent, yeah, Christmas, New Year's, my birthday in treatment. So this is like the pattern that starts to happen. <laughs> like a major pattern I'm seeing. But I get back here to Alaska and I'm just off and running and I'm living with a drug dealer, you know, who I claim is like my boyfriend and I love him. But really on the side, I'm going and like sleeping with other people to like get what I need, you know, Mm. whether it's like money or just like something from them because I was Mm. so selfish and um, we're like, you know, that's when I started using Pretty severely.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: At this point, uh, too, the health problems are just getting pretty severe. I I don't have veins left in my arms anymore because they're just... My hands are always... They're actually pretty decent right now. They're always, like, beet red because I just don't have circulation. And so when I go to get blood drawn, it's, like, the biggest fiasco yeah. ever. <laughs> like, it's, it's just, you know, it's a mess. Mm-hmm. But... It ends up working somehow because also because i've been sober for a while now There are uh you know things are starting to work again
2: mm-hmm. that's actually is, really cool
1: yeah, yeah
0: which is awesome like most of them are not going to come back because they're mm-hmm. completely collapsed but like there is circulation going on now to mm-hmm. some point which is like really refreshing <laughs> for me to know
2: mm-hmm. oh yeah i can imagine feeling like you screwed up things permanently with just I don't like that feeling at all. Like, permanent damage always just freaks me out, kind of. Like, so just hearing that there's growth must be super. That must be great. Like,
0: <laughs> Oh, yeah. Because at this point, it was so difficult for me to, um, to. Uh, we call it, like, hitting yourself, you know, mm-hmm. like finding an actual vein. Right. So I started having people help me do it in my neck. Because that's, oh. like,. And I'm 19 at this point, so I'm already at the point where I'm having to do to my neck, you know, because I'm losing all my veins. And I'm having to, like, start looking at my feet and stuff. And it gets so severe again. Like, I've pawned everything I own. I'm living with this boyfriend in this trailer that is just (laughs) pretty gnarly. Mm -hmm. And um, and my mom, like, calls me and she's like, I think you need to get out of the state again, you know. This other pattern again of me Mm -hmm. leaving and stuff and so she was like do you want to go with your godmother in Arizona you know and I was like yeah sure and she's like (laughs) my godmother's like will you be detoxing and I was like no (laughs) so I get there and I was so bad like I'm sitting there shaking sweating like my legs won't stop moving Mm -hmm. I was puking like I was like I may be detoxing.
2: she's like,
0: oh, really? Like, <laughs> like you don't say, yeah. you
2: know? <laughs> I thought you were just dying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and that was another thing. My detoxes were just so severe. I mean, it, for some reason, c- because my body craved heroin so bad that when it would come out of my system, my body was just like, uh-uh, you're not doing this. Like, we're going to mm. make this the worst possible thing for you. Yeah. Yeah, and at that point, I stayed in Arizona for about, like, maybe three months, and then I was like, Dad, can I come home, please? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't like it here, you know? Mm -hmm. But really, in my head, I'm like, I really want to get high again, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, that's my thing. Mm
1: -hmm. And let me have heroin here. Yeah! It's tragic.
0: It was (laughs) so tragic. And I had turned 20 there, and so, um... I come back to Alaska, of course. I'm living with my dad again. That was, like, my pattern. I would either be living with, like, a boyfriend in a trailer. It was always Mm -hmm. in a trailer. I don't know why. But, um, or I would, like, go to my dad's house and be like, Dad, I'm just going to stay here again, you know, like, be Mm -hmm. in my room. And, um, I think I was only back for maybe a few weeks. Yeah, I think Mm -hmm. about two weeks and of course I'm off and running again because I had a job. So I brought back like not very much money, but enough for me to be like <coughs> All right, well this is it, you right. know, like woo! I'm, gonna, I'm
1: gonna live in my dad's house, not pay any bills and just
0: I'm gonna get yeah. This
1: all up. Yeah.
0: I'm gonna get some strong ass heroin mm-hmm. that I didn't knew know had fentanyl in it.
1: Damn. Oh.
3: Ooh.
0: Both Thank batches you. I did. Mm-hmm. And so within five days I overdosed twice. Holy. So the first time I overdosed, um, I had locked the door, you know, and I had my cat in my room with me because my cat's my little angel. Anybody who knows me knows I love cats. <laughs> Is anybody listening? You're, <laughs> you, you already You will know. know. <laughs> you will know I love cats and animals and dogs and fluffy things. Anyways. So my cat's in my room, you know, and I locked the door, of course, Mm -hmm. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get high, you know, wherever I did it at. I'm literally, like, pretty much lost almost, like, all my veins at this Mm -hmm. point, like, in my arms, at least. Like, there wasn't very much left. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that became very prevalent in my life, like, you know, a year later or however so. And, um, I overdosed, Mm -hmm. like, instantly, of course, and, um i don't remember actually falling out my dad said my cat was banging her body against the door and she was like meowing so loud that he was like something's wrong you mm-hmm. know and he like wiggles the door it's locked so he said he broke down the door and i'm sitting there blue overdosed right. and like they thought i was clean you know from mm-hmm. coming back from arizona being there for three months they thought i was completely right. fine and um I woke up to my dad, like, holding me like a baby, Mm -hmm. you know, holding me in his arms, like, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. I'm like, what happened? And my poor father, if you listen to this, Dad, I love you, and um, he gave me CPR for about 5, 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Saved my life. Wow. And so, first time I went to the hospital, they were, you know, would you like to get some help? I was like, I think I'm going to go home and I'm going to, you know, I'll detox and I'll see I'll see what happens but truly in my mind i was like i'm going to get high again yeah. i don't care if this happened i'm going to get mm-hmm. high again there's just nothing's going to stop me right and this was about four days later i got another batch of heroin that had fentanyl in it mm-hmm. and i overdosed again and i was alone at my house my dad's house
3: mm-hmm.
0: and um my younger brother my dad was like hey you should go this is like a total God thing. Mm-hmm. He was like, you should go and check on Kayla because nobody's at the house. And, you know, she just overdosed a few days ago. Mm-hmm. Crazy how that worked. Right. And so my brother goes to the house and he's got his friend with him, too. Like, he's not just alone. He, like, brought his friend with him. He breaks down the door and I am, like, almost dead. Mm-hmm. Like, this time it was way worse. Like, I was almost dead. No, there was, like, barely a pulse going on with me. And they had to give me equivalent to four of the nasal sprays, a mm-hmm. shot of Narcan into my leg. Right. Because I was just gone.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And when I woke up, I was even more disoriented and I had no idea what had happened. And my mom was a nurse at the hospital at this time for like right. 23 years. Mm-hmm. And the head of the hospital, uh, the nurse, he got me as an emergency admin into Serenity House. Nice. And that was the first time I went into Serenity House. I know, right? I'm like, rock on! <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I mean, it was one of the, like, honestly, you know, going out of state and going to treatment was great. But, like, if I would have just known how much Serenity House was going to help me and save my life, I would have just stayed here. Right. Do you know what I mean?
3: Yeah.
1: But
0: my insurance wouldn't cover Serenity House. And so when we found somewhere out of state that was, like, this fancy schmancy place, you mm-hmm. know, like... That would, my insurance would cover. I was like, heck yeah, you know, in California, like, (laughs) (laughs) I'll go, bye guys. And like, Mm -hmm. and so I go into Serenity House the first time and I learned some, of course, incredible things. Like I always did when I went to treatment, this was about the fourth, it was the fourth time I went to treatment and, um, I stayed sober again for three and a half months and that was it. Like I completed the inpatient, went to the sober living. And I decided I'm going to go move in with one of my friends who I met in treatment. And they were staying clean. Mm -hmm. But I decided since I was going to be living there and had my own room and my own things and stuff, I was not going to stay clean. Mm
3: -hmm. I think
0: I stayed clean for about two weeks. And then I started shooting up and getting high again and drinking, you know, doing whatever Mm -hmm. I was doing. I was always mixing things. Xanax would still come into play a lot, too, because I loved mixing heroin and Xanax. And then... um. Also, you know, taking a shot of booze on top of that, like, that, I was, like, pretty much wanting to just kill myself. I Mm -hmm. mean, when I think about the mixture of things I was doing, it was a cocktail for death. Yeah. And so I'm staying at this friend's house, and everybody figured that I was getting high again, because, so what would happen was, since I had really no veins in my arms... I was using my hands at this point mm-hmm. so it was very obvious that i was shooting up because people would see my hands and they'd just be scarred over right. and like it was awful it just looked so bad and of course i get kicked out of my friend's house and i'm like dad you know i'll i'll be good just please help me like help me like i'll, I'll come back to the house like like he doesn't know i'm being high at this point mm-hmm. you know so I don't want anybody who's listening to think like my dad enabled me, because most of the time I was a good liar. Mm -hmm. I'm still clean, you know, I just got (laughs) out of treatment. What do you think? Of course I'm clean, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I moved back into my dad's house and this is when like got real. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I don't have a job, I literally have only had one job at this point and it was at the Aspen Hotel I ended up quitting after, like, four or five months because they gave me an intervention. They didn't
1: fire me. How dare you wow. care they, about me? They
0: literally wanted to help me. Like, they gave wow. me an intervention to help me, and yeah. I ended up quitting. Like, a week mm-hmm. or two later, like, I was like, you ain't gonna tell me I have to stop, you know? I'm sitting there nodding out at my desk. You don't have to tell me I have to stop, you mm-hmm. <laughs> It was, like, awful. Yeah. So I only had one job at this point in my life. I'm 20 years old, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, let me my dad's, and I start going, okay, I really need to, like, figure something out on how to make some quick cash.
1: I'm going to sell dope.
0: Well, close. That happens later, but. (laughs) (laughs) I go to my dad's room, and I'm like, (coughs) huh, here's some old checks he signed. Huh. I look at his signature. I was like, I can copy his signature. Mm -hmm. I started doing fraudulent checks. Nice. That were my dad's. It was just awful i mean the amends that i had to make you know from this decision i made and the consequences i had you know thank god i had those right but um for a month i was getting away with doing these fraudulent checks you know because at this point my tolerance was pretty severe it was about like a gram a day Mm -hmm. sometimes half a gram a day like and this was just like at this point where i could afford like what i needed and um yeah, and, of course, I'm just hanging out with, like, you know, people who use like I did. Like, I wasn't mm-hmm. going to hang out with people who didn't, you know, bang dope mm-hmm. or steal or uh, or who weren't going to help fuel my habit as much as I would theirs. Right. And um, I get a call one day, you know, you're in deep. We know that you've, my dad's like, we know you stole my checks. Like, I just got a call from the bank.
3: hmm
0: You know? Added up to, um, like, $1,800, almost two grand, yeah. just in a month. Because I think I was doing, like, little... I would try to do, like, little amounts. Then I would go to, like, 100 a day.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: 200 Like, I would... I was trying to make it look like it wasn't gonna, but... I got caught. And my dad was like, you need to get the F out.
3: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: like, I'm not gonna enable you.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I'm kicked out of his house, and... I start living with my friend who has no electricity, no running water, you know, and I still have, like, my little minivan, but, like, you know, I would I mean I would stay in my van when I had to, but, uh, my dad had kicked me out because, you know, he finds out I'm doing the fraudulent checks, and mm-hmm. Wells Fargo wanted to charge me for every single check. There was 28 of them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was, like, one every day for a month. Mm-hmm. And, uh yeah they i'm not a very good criminal that's just uh that's prevalent for sure especially when i'm like confessing my my uh (laughs) the things i've done and stuff like that but um yeah so this happens and um i start living i either start staying in my van i had a minivan or i would stay with my friend who had the no electricity or water and um at this point this man who i actually went to treatment in serenity house with the first time i went there um he had relapsed too and he said hey you know you want to come over and uh and uh, get high mm-hmm. hang out and i was like yeah mm-hmm. and um at this point the people who owned the trailer weren't there you know and when they got back an odd situation occurred but this is how i ended up living in the trailer being with somebody who was literally 30 years older than me And, um, so the guy who I was staying with and like kind of seeing, you know, Mm -hmm. the people had gotten back, were living in that trailer and he decided, Hey, so I'm going to pack up my stuff and, um, you can stay here if you want, you know, but I'm going to leave. I was like, what, you know? And like, I kind of went to bed and I'm like, okay, hopefully he'll think of it. I woke up in the morning in that trailer and he was gone, you know, but it wasn't to hurt me it was because um the person who owned the trailer was like i know you're you know he had like stolen this guy's guns and sold them we both did Mm -hmm. like i was totally involved in that you know Mm -hmm. and um yeah so he ends up getting kicked out like i i wasn't the one who sold them but i was definitely involved like i definitely wanted it to happen like Mm -hmm. i was like yeah so we can have money or we can just trade them for dope right you know and um So I'm sitting there and the guy who owned the trailer, who was like 50, he was 50 years old, you know, and um, he kept saying, you know, you can stay here if, you know, we become a couple. And I was like, you know, at that point, I'm so selfish and Mm self-centered. I'm not even thinking of the fact that like his son lives with him. In this trailer, and I'm not going to lie, you know, I don't know if um, his daughter, who I'm very good friends with, actually, to this day.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: She, you know, she, none of his uh, children struggle with alcoholism or addiction, mm-hmm. but um, she has always been supportive of my recovery mm-hmm. this whole time. And, um, you know, she knows what has happened because she lived in it. You know, and uh, so it was just me and his younger son living there. And I was like, yes, I'll, you know, we can be a couple because I'm just selfish and right. self-centered, mm-hmm. not even thinking <clears throat> that it's going to hurt us. And uh, we're like living in squalor.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, we have no food. The The trailer is filthy all the time. I mean, it was really like legitly squalor. And um, I, I mean, it wasn't like. You know, we had electricity and stuff, and we had, like, our water, but it wasn't very clean. Like, mm-hmm. we just weren't living very clean. Right. And I'm mm-hmm. sure that was, you know, direct outcome of what I was doing. And, of course, I'm in this relationship, you know, but um, also the guy who I was staying with, he was into meth years before that, mm-hmm. and he ends up getting back into it again because I'm using heroin. Mm-hmm. And it's like... That's another pattern I saw from my fourth step. You know, like, I get with these men, and if they did have a substance abuse disorder, or if they didn't even know they did, they got into it because I was the one who was like, well, I'm going to do dope anyways. Mm-hmm. You know? F what you're doing. I'm right. going to still do my dope.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And, um, yeah, so I'm living there. I'm pretty much playing stepmommy at this point. And um, he has three other kids and two out of his three other kids came to live with us and one of his children who's a year older than me I'm literally playing stepmom and like step grandma you know to his children and um his daughter and her husband and her two kids move in so we have about eight or nine people living in the trailer you know Mm -hmm. and at this point I don't think I mentioned this I'm a prostitute at this point you know, so I, I agree to be with this man, but on the side, you know, I'm going out and selling my body to make money and to get drugs. Mm -hmm. You know, I would, uh, sell videos and pictures of myself on the internet to make money. And, um, you know, I would do all that. And because I was, um, doing the prostitution and because me and, um, The man I was staying with would fight all the time, too, you know, he would like say, you know Get out sometimes or like I would just be like I'm leaving, you know Mm -hmm. And because I was doing the prostitution and stuff. I would just go and stay in my car and like I was actually used to that Mm -hmm. you know because when my dad kicked me out instead of being in like You know a home that had no electricity and no water when I did get kicked out. I would just live in my car and I'm pretty sure it was winter at that time, and, uh, because, yeah, when his, um, also his daughter found his needles once, you know, and she, they actually weren't mine, they were his, but she ended up kicking me out, you know, and of course I was using at that time, too, but I ended up, um, yeah, just going to my car, and then eventually I just stayed in that house that had, you know, the, uh, oh never mind at the time it actually did have the electricity and water but yeah i'm doing this prostitution and then just everything is just out of control i mean i'm a prostitute and then i end up getting with another guy while i'm with this other guy Mm -hmm. and i'm trying to like keep the lives separated like i'm living these two lives you know like Mm -hmm. the one where i'm at the trailer or i choose to go out and be homeless and stay in my car because I'm literally having to go out there in a survival mechanism and make money for my dope and stuff. And I'm with this other guy, you know, who is uh, out here supporting my habit too, you know? And I'm doing like my Facebook hustle Mm -hmm. also with the pictures and video and my life was just a mess. I mean, I'm, yeah selling dope, a prostitute, still stealing when I have to, you know, just like, it was chaos. I don't even know how to explain how chaotic Mm -hmm. it was. And at this point, my habit is just so severe. And also at this point, I don't think I mentioned it. Shout out to Care Transitions. I think at this point I had already been there because I've been there a total of six times Mm -hmm. to Care Transitions. And, um, at this point, I had gone there, I'd like to say about three times, maybe. Mm-hmm. And at some points, I actually would stay there, you know, right. for six days, seven mm-hmm. days. I'd be close to getting over the detox, and I'd go back out, and I'd get high, almost overdose. You know, like that. And um, I go back to the trailer, you know, because me and the guy who I was with, we had a terrible toxic relationship again. That's what I went for. Mm -hmm. I just went for these terrible toxic relationships, but I also played into them. I don't want to ever make it sound like it was just the man. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, me as well. And since I'm bisexual too, doing this prostitution as well, I'm not just getting with men, but I'm getting with women or couples, you know, drug dealer couples. And like, there's also no protection, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm very... I'm not going to lie. I'm very lucky that I don't have, like, lifelong... AIDS. Diseases. Yes. Yeah. No, well, no... Yeah. Like, I'm yeah. lucky I don't have AIDS. Seriously. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. sleeping with... Some days, I would sleep with multiple people that day right. just mm-hmm. to get what I needed, you know? Mm-hmm. Men so and women.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
0: And the sex wasn't even enjoyable to me because I... Was on heroin and it makes your sex, for some people it makes your sex drive completely go away. And for me that's the case. So I'm literally having unenjoyable sex with multiple people a day just to fuel my habit. Mm -hmm. While I'm dating two other people Mm -hmm. on the side. My life is a mess at this yeah. point.
1: Your and: life is, I'm, Your life is a giant scheme.: <laughs> get help: yeah. Yes. And yeah. I'm trying
0: to also sell dope on the side, right. and I end up owing somebody 700 dollars because I use everything yeah. I had. Yeah. Mm. My habit at this point too, was three uh, two grams a day. I was going to say that, but that's not accurate. It was two grams a day. And so I'm having to like really make money to get what I need. You know, so sleeping with the multiple people a day, yeah, it was just on the regular. And one day I am left with just 20 bucks, you know, and some days this would happen where I'd have no money or I'd just have 20 bucks and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sick. And I would get so sick and I would hallucinate. (laughs) And my thing also was I would take like muscle relaxers, like multiple, multiple muscle relaxers just so i could feel okay Mm -hmm. then somebody would call me you know hey you can come get well you know like that would be the occasional thing i'd go do heroin and i'd be driving hallucinating this Mm -hmm. was like a regular thing for me because i was already going you know psychotic Mm -hmm. and one time i thought my whole family was in the car i mean it's really funny to me now (laughs) It is kind of, but like it's also really sad because mm-hmm. I'm sitting there. I think because I'm so lonely and I'm in, internally I'm super alone. Mm-hmm. I thought my whole family was in the car, and I turn around. Shut the f up, Cody. Shut the f up, Matt. Those are my brothers. If you guys listen to this, yes, I thought you were in the car once. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we can edit out those names if you want. Oh, no, that's
0: okay. They oh, okay. they they know and. <laughs> They know my insanity. And um, this was a regular thing for me, talking to myself, hallucinating. While mm-hmm. I'm driving, mm-hmm. sitting there driving, hallucinating, like, shut up, you know, shut up, please, just shut up. Like, mm-hmm. talking to people in my car, I'd have a lucid moment and be like, there's nobody in here. Mm-hmm. And then I'd snap back into psychosis and go, you know, please, everybody stop talking to me. And no. I'm alone mm-hmm. in my car no radio on no nothing i'm sitting there alone thinking that i have a whole gangle of people talking to me and at this point with you know everything i'm doing that i've explained of course my life is just chaotic and this is the middle of winter and i have 20 bucks and of course at this point everything had happened i had been homeless i'm selling my body you know i had I was always hungry. I lost 70 pounds from just when I had went to Serenity House. This was about um, a year later. I think I was 21 Mm -hmm. at this point. Yes. And um, I was driving out to Nikiski. I had 20 bucks. I was like, I need to get well. And I was was just out of my mind sick, you know. Not Mm -hmm. out of my mind high. I was sick as can be. Mm -hmm. And driving, and it's. I remember on the radio, they said, this is the worst day of winter. You know, only drive if you have to.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: So I'm driving out there, and I'm going about 55, and the car in front of me decides, we're going to turn 25 feet in front of you. And I don't have snow tires because I can't afford them. You know, So I'm (laughs) driving with bald tires. Pumping on my brakes, trying to stop. Next thing I know, I'm getting hit head-on by a pickup truck in a minivan. Like... I wake up in the ICU, and um, I had broken my C1 and my C7, so my neck snapped in half. And so they had no idea how I was not paralyzed <laughs> or um, dead. Yeah. I mean, like, it, it. those were literally, when somebody snaps their neck like that, they say there's only, like, usually two things that can happen. You're paralyzed from the neck down, or you die.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
0: they were, like, we really don't know how either of those didn't happen right of course i'm not thinking in my head wow thank you god for saving me i'm like f you thanks for keeping me alive you mm-hmm. know i wanted to die at this point like mm-hmm. i'm like please i had already had suicide attempts right. so many mm-hmm. like so many suicide attempts you know we've talked about mm-hmm. that and like i wasn't very good at yeah, yeah. trying to kill I mean, myself right. i i mean it just i was you know, staying alive for a reason. I didn't Mm. realize that I had a purpose. And so I'm in the ICU. My, this front tooth is fake. My tooth was completely busted out. I was more Mm. pissed about that than my broken neck. I woke up. I was like, fix my tooth. They're (laughs) like, we're not dentists. I was like, "Uh."
3: (laughs) you're
2: lucky to be alive. My tooth. (laughs) Yeah. I
0: didn't even care about my neck. They're like, uh, your neck's broken in two places. I'm like, "Uh, I don't give a. (laughs) You know, and I'm sitting there and they're giving me multiple, you know, IV, you know, drugs to keep me okay. Mm -hmm. And I am sick as can be. It was unimaginable how sick I was with the drugs they were giving me. Mm -hmm. You know, like they were giving me uh, pills to take every three hours, but also giving me, I think, Dilaudid and morphine. And I'm just sitting there shaking, sweating still sick
3: <laughs>
0: like hey can I please get some more and they knew what was going on with me because right. all they did was they looked at my body all the scars yeah. I had from the intravenous use and so mm-hmm. they knew and my neck that was always the problem my neck was so scarred up because that's mm-hmm. mainly what I was using at that point right. <laughs> and uh and my feet and hand and actually not my hands because they were shot out but tried to in my arms I would for hours and it mm-hmm. just never really would work And at that point, of course, uh, the police get involved because, like, you know, I'm just... Yeah. yeah, Driving
1: under influence.
0: Yeah. Well, I was actually detoxing, but because it was still in my system, Mm. you know, they they take your blood and look at it and whatnot. And Mm. I won't get too into that because I don't want to incriminate myself because that would be bad, but I... (laughs) But, yeah, I wasn't under the influence at that time, but I definitely still had it in my system, Mm -hmm. I'm sure, because my my, uh, tolerance was just out of this world ridiculous. And so then I go into the bathroom. This is how out of my mind I was. I mean, I had a catheter, and I was like, take it out. I want to go into that bathroom. They knew exactly why I wanted Mm -hmm. to go in that bathroom. And when I tried to use, it got stuck in my pick line. And so they t- had to take my whole pick line out. And they're like, you know, what? What can we do? Like, mm-hmm. like you need to get help. Like right. this is just out of control. Mm-hmm. And so at this point, this is the fourth time I've, I'm going to the detox center. So they take me. Katie picks me up. Yeah, Katie, I'm calling you out. I love you. <laughs> I love her. And um, she takes me to the detox center. Actually, it might have been Deborah. Oh well, I love them both, anyways. <laughs> And they take me over there, and I'm literally in a neck brace, and they're telling me, like, you can't move. Like, you need to lay down. You need to not move because, like, you're screwed, <coughs> you know? You're effed up right now. Yeah. And I stayed there for four hours. They even brought, like, a rolling TV into my room. I'm laying on the bed, and um, I walked out with a broken neck. I mm-hmm. had no shoes either nice no shoes
1: mm-hmm. just
0: walked out of the detox center with my broken neck with a neck brace on no shoes i was 125 pounds at that point i think i'm definitely not that now <laughs> 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 i gained a lot of weight and recovery which happens everybody it happens to everybody and it's okay mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: it's so okay i've seen people go out and relapse over that and it's like it's totally okay to gain weight and recovery like you can deal with it later, you know? Like, yeah. get yourself healthy. Like, yeah. I I have almost relapsed on that before in the past. Mm-hmm. And it's just mm-hmm. not worth it, you right. know? Just love no. yourself enough and to... I think
1: that's, like, one of the things, too, where, like, they talk about how conniving of a, d- a disease addiction is, you know what I mean? Because it's, like, there are other ways to, like, if you feel like your weight's your problem, you know what I mean? That, like, when most people, like, consider, like, their weight being an issue, you know? Like, oh... Like, one of the first thoughts is, like, I need to eat healthier or I need to work out. You know what I mean? And then, like, the addict says, oh, I just need to do dope. That'll help my weight problem. You know what Mm, I mean? Yes. Because you're thinking with, like, an addicted mind. You know what I mean? You're not thinking as, like, quote, unquote, normal. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. most most normal people, they see their weight and they're like, oh, okay, I need to do these things. The Um. addict says... To use dope That's going to fix my yeah. problem.
2: Yeah. Plus I mean even if you did trade it and get it back, you for what? You trash your life? Like there's no reason. Like there's so many other things that go wrong once you're there that there's no way it's worth it. You won't get to enjoy it cuz you'll probably die. I mean, yeah. you know, one oh, one yeah. rogue fentanyl dose and it's all over mm-hmm. if someone doesn't find you. More yeah. or less. So, even if it was, even if you were looking at pr- purely from a price perspective, it's not worth your life. Yeah. I mean,
0: yeah. It's not at all. I'm, I, from this, like, day and from, you know, everything else in my past, I don't know how I'm alive. Mm-hmm. But now I do know, and it's God. You mm-hmm. know, God kept me alive this whole time. And there's a reason for it. You mm-hmm. know, I may not know it yet, but I'm <coughs> starting to get the hint because, mm-hmm. like, he wants me to be of service to other people. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, so at this point, yeah, I leave detox. I have a neck brace on. I have no shoes on. I'm just, like, a mess. I'm skinny as can be because I don't eat.
3: Right. Mm-hmm. Like,
0: um, the man I'm with, his whole family's staying with us. And one time, you know, after I had left, I walked to Soro and he picks me up, and, of course, I go back to the trailer. Mm-hmm. I can't even bathe myself at this point. Right. But of course, I'm trying to use the I have a broken neck, you know, to my advantage, mm-hmm. so people will give me dope. Yeah, <laughs> right. I'm still doing prostitution at this point mm-hmm. too. I'm going to do tricks with a neck brace on. I'm sorry, but think about how funny that is. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's hilarious.
2: You ever been with a girl with a neck brace on? Dude, I just feel like that's so yeah, you easy. Ever, on like, you've those...
0: had this. <laughs> 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 they're like, they're like, no, exotic. I don't. I don't know if
1: I can. I do like I'm just like trying to put myself in the shoes of like someone who's like acquiring services like that <laughs> from somebody in a neck brace, and I'm like, like dri- driving up, like looking out, and like seeing this woman in a neck brace and being like, <laughs> I'm, I'm like. I'm going to the next one. (laughs) Fucking (laughs) whip that bitch right around!
0: I literally couldn't even turn my neck either. So when I'd like talk to them, I'd have to go. (laughs) Turn my whole body. It was so bad, and like this is the freaking insanity of addiction. Like this Mm -hmm. is just it to the core. Like it's just so. (laughs) It's unbelievable. Yeah. I literally can't even bathe myself, too. I'm I'm having to have other people help me Mm -hmm. bathe and do all these things. And, yeah, the whole family, they moved in at one point, you know, after Mm -hmm. maybe after I'd healed a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oh, because of my injury, too, my use got even worse. I don't even know how it could have. But I started using even more, you know, more heroin. And mm-hmm. using boost, you know, numb my pain too. Because at this point, I've turned twenty-one, so mm-hmm. I'm like, I can go and buy wine. I can go and buy some hard liquor. Mm-hmm. You know, I can go to the bar now. Like, mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna party it up. Like, can't, I'm can't take a shower, to be...
2: but I'm gonna go to yeah, the bar. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's yeah. where it's at, right? Yeah,
0: because I, after about three months, I, I never went to physical therapy. I never went to the doctor. I never went to any sort of like, uh. Pain specialist. I went to two different doctors trying to get help. Even I even begged one of them, just please put me on Suboxone. Anything. I don't mm. want to do this anymore. And he said no.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: He's like, you're you're an addict. You know, like I don't I don't want to. I know your mother and uh, I work I worked with her a long time, but she doesn't at this point. My mom was living in Anchorage for a few years. Mm-hmm. You know, so. My mom who's a nurse who has detoxed me on her couch many times. Uh she wasn't, you know, around anymore. Mm-hmm. And my dad, he is a slope worker. So you know, like I'm I'm pretty much like I'm on my own right now. <laughs> you know, but it's not their fault. They just don't want to enable me at this point. And yeah. my yeah. contact with my my uh my brothers was very skim, mm-hmm. you know and, uh, especially my younger brother, but, uh, uh, so at this point, three months after I broke my neck, I take my neck brace off, you know, and I'm just kind of doing it, like, literally on my own, and, um, so, yeah, the, when I broke my neck, that was the fourth time I went to detox, and then, um, yeah, things are just getting worse, and I meet somebody who is a pretty big, you know, dealer Mm two people who are pretty big dealers who i'm going to see on the regular you know Mm -hmm. i leave the guy i'm staying with i leave his house and i go and stay with this couple who are drug dealers and i'm sleeping with them and Mm -hmm. and you you know pretty much using them for dope and Mm -hmm. then i meet another big drug dealer that was like my thing anybody who had the big time label or the big time dope i was Mm -hmm. gonna go with them i was gonna go sleep with them stay with them to get what I needed because all I was was selfish Mm self-centered not even thinking about how this is going to hurt the person you know who I'm staying with who's literally who did even though we had a pretty you know abusive relationship just all together you Mm know not as much physically but um you know he still tried to do the best he could because he just didn't want to see me suffering pretty much you know but it was enabling to the core and um but there's no blame for him so yeah i meet this other big time drug dealer and i just go to his house for days at a time you know while i'm still with this dude that i'm staying with like still in a relationship you know Mm
3: -hmm. that
0: i seem to i mean i'm literally just going out daily Mm -hmm. like There was one time this random guy who I just met on Facebook picked me up and we went like drove around and I literally gave him a blowjob and let him have sex with me for like 200. I think it was $200 and I had just met him like that day. Like that was a regular thing for me. Like Mm -hmm. you're 100% right. I do not know how I don't have HIV AIDS, you know, or Mm -hmm. like I've actually never contracted an STD, which I don't.
2: It's pretty Ew. miraculous. Yeah, wow. I literally yeah, don't know You win the, the, win the broken how. neck lottery and you win the <laughs> <laughs> STD lottery. Yeah. Like, wow, that's incredible.
0: Yeah, it was wow. insane. Yeah, so I'm with this other drug dealer too, and I'm going there for just days at a time. And, of course,
2: <laughs>
0: that guy was, <laughs> <laughs> that mm. other guy was, um he's catching on, you know. Like, he's like, I know who this guy is, you know. He mm-hmm. literally sleeps with girls for heroin. Mm-hmm. He didn't even do the shit. He did meth. He literally just had heroin to give to girls, you know, who would sleep with him.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And, um, and that's what I was doing. Going there for days at a time. And at one point, I, I just remember standing in the mirror. I was at the trailer. And my collarbones were just, like, sticking out. And my teeth are rotting out of my skull. Because Mm. I haven't brushed my teeth in probably a month or two at that point. That's not the case now, obviously. But, like, (laughs) at that point, my teeth are literally, like, rotting. Like, I have to get so much work done on my teeth. Now it's insane. And I'm just skinny as can be. I haven't eaten in probably, like, a week. Because we never had food, you know. Mm -hmm. But that was all on us. You know, I was spending our money. Or um, the guy I was staying with was. And, like... You know, that was not on anybody else, but I can only take ownership for what I was doing. And um, I just looked in the mirror, and I remember looking right in my eyes, and it wasn't me. Like, it it just wasn't me. I was a completely different person. Like, I do have morals and values, you know. I don't Mm -hmm. go and sleep with random people. But at that point, that was normal for me
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. every
0: day, you know. Or staying in my car just so I could go and do that so I wouldn't get caught by the person I was staying with like that's mm-hmm. insanity
3: mm-hmm.
0: you know uh the person I was staying with he told me I said listen I I really do want to get clean like I really want to give this another fighting chance you know
3: mm-hmm.
0: and he was already planning on moving actually
3: mm-hmm.
0: because you know his family They wanted to move and Mm -hmm. he was selling the trailer. So I, and I had already planned on getting clean before that. Like I had, Mm -hmm. I had had all those spurts at detox before that, the four separate times Mm -hmm. that like it showed that I wanted to, but how was I going to do it? Mm -hmm. You know, it felt so impossible to me because heroin was all I thought about, Mm
3: -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm.
0: heroin and alcohol were like the things that just like had a grip on me so severely you know? Hmm. And, um, yeah. So I decided one day I said, listen, I'll, I'll pack up my stuff. Like I'll take some of it to my dad's or something and uh, we'll get me into detox again. It was the fifth time I went into detox Mm -hmm. and I stayed, of course, six, seven days, six days. Yep. One of my friends went in there. Uh, I heard his voice. I went out to the <laughs> room. I'm like, "Hey!" <laughs> <laughs> and he was one of my old dealers, mm. you know? But he's still clean, too, with me to this day. Mm. It's just amazing. Mm. You know, recovery is so possible. But I stayed clean for six days, and I said, you know what? Give me my phone. Give me my s***. Mm-hmm. They literally would... uh at this point, you know, since i had been there so many times, and I was one of the first people who went there the first five days they were open.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So they
0: were invested in me, you know? Yeah. And it killed them when I would leave. It killed me when I would leave. but Because I love everybody so much who works for <laughs> Care Transitions and Serenity House. But I said, just give me my stuff. And one of the employees was like, the next time you come here, you know, we're not going to let you have phone calls or anything like that because every time you just end up leaving and when she said the next time you come here you know that's when i was like why do they keep letting me come back Mm. you know i didn't get it i was like why do they believe in me so much like stop just let me die Mm -hmm. let me die in peace i'm done living like this i'm so over it and i went into like the waiting room and i was already texting like one of my dealers because i had multiple of them and i was texting one of them and i'm like hey i'm coming to get some stuff you know Mm -hmm. i had like fifteen dollars that I left with, mm-hmm. but I worked something up, you right. know, and the guy was staying with, and um. Uh, one of the employees at CT, you know, I'm going to call her out, Deborah. <laughs> <laughs> I love her so much, she said I looked like a Holocaust victim when I left, she said I just looked like death warmed over, like she didn't think she was going to see me again,
3: mm-hmm. you
0: know, I don't think anybody thought they were going <laughs> to see me again, because I was just at that point of like, no return, mm-hmm. it felt like. And so I had, uh, I left for 14 hours from detox, Mm -hmm. you know, went and got dope, sat in the car, talked to myself and people that weren't there again. Mm -hmm. While the guy who I was literally like with at that time, you know, was sitting next to me just kind of like, who's she talking to? Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't talking to him. I was saying all kinds of other things. And uh, because I was just insane. And I have him drop me off somewhere else because, of course, we start fighting. Mm -hmm. And then I get dropped off at that drug dealer's house who I would stay with for days at a time. And Katie texted me from Care Transitions. She was like, do... You can still go to intake. You can get in, you know, in 24 hours if you you still have time. Mm -hmm. Like, just let us come pick you up. Like, please. Mm -hmm. And, like, that makes me... Like, so, like, it makes me feel so heartwarming because uh, they cared that much that they were like, we'll pick you up at a freaking dope house, mm-hmm. you know, if we have to. Right. And um, so I picked up my stuff. I remember <coughs> it was, like, a whole night of sex and and shooting up and partying. I still had heroin, like, in my bra at that time. And um, I walked down, and I was smoking a cigarette at the church, and Deborah and Katie picked me up. And I gave them the rest of my hair when I said I'm done. Mm-hmm. It's like I can't do this anymore. I'm wow. so done. And I went to the detox center for the sixth time, and I made it through. Yeah, <laughs> I made it through. Oh man. And I went to Serenity House. It was um, I had an attempt in between my using, and I went there for a second time for four hours or five hours and i ended up leaving so this was technically my third time at serenity house mm-hmm. my uh sixth time in treatment uh, treatment and detox is altogether 12th time right. you know so this was like it mm-hmm. this was my attempt i was like i'm gonna die if i don't get this i was just mm-hmm. at that point nobody was pushing mm-hmm. me to go in there i was mm-hmm. just like i can't do this anymore i'm mm-hmm. exhausted and I went into Serenity House and it was, yeah, my third time going in there. And I made it through. And I now in ten days I'll have ten months clean.
2: Alright. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. 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 That yeah, is actually it's, it's And awesome. now
0: my life That's is like the so different.
1: You've been
0: clean ever. Ever. Yeah. Ever. And mo- in two months in ten days I'll have sorry, not gonna front, I'm not gonna front, whatever. whatever. <laughs> but uh <laughs> all the year
3: right mm-hmm. a
0: year without taking any drugs or a drink of alcohol like what you know like, <laughs> and now my life is so different like I know that was like probably really gruesome like there's a lot of like you know crazy details in there but um like how my life is now so I'm a PCA I'm a personal care attendant Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be working on uh, getting into CNA work, mm-hmm. hopefully in the future, going into the medical field or social services. Right. And um, I have like an actual vehicle now that I'm making payments on. I work full time. Mm-hmm. I work six days a week. I come to outpatient groups here still. Mm-hmm. And um, I go to meetings on the regular. I work my anonymous program <laughs> i've done all the 12 steps nice. i sponsor women in recovery i live with my client actually her family has completely taken me in oh. they love me and know i'm in recovery mm-hmm. and support me and they gave me a home mm-hmm. and now i live in a home mm-hmm. with them with my client and also and, her I'm
1: granddaughter has running water and <laughs> no. toilets yes
2: and...
0: yes yes It has running water, (laughs) electricity. I have my bed. Like, it's like.
2: There's not eight other people. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. There's not
0: eight other people. I don't have to share a bed anymore. Uh, Most Mm. of the time when I was using, I was sharing a bed Mm. with somebody who I either didn't know or who I didn't want to be, you know? Mm. And I I don't like saying it like that, you know, because I don't want to, like, hurt anyone's feelings. But, like, I was miserable, you know? When I was in treatment, One of the counselors was like, when was the last time you've been intimate with somebody and you actually wanted to? Mm
3: -hmm.
0: I couldn't answer it. Mm -hmm. I was like, I have no clue. Now I like have my morals and my standards my beliefs back. I go to church every Sunday. I volunteer mm-hmm. at like my church, which is just like
2: <laughs> it's bizarre. To if you. you
0: look at my story and then you like see me as like working full time and I go to church every Sunday. I talk to my family on the regular. Mm-hmm. My brother has his gender reveal. My younger brother mm-hmm. has his gender reveal party on this Saturday, mm-hmm. and I get to go to it. Mm-hmm. I get to be it's an amazing. aunt. Right. I get to be an aunt to my older brothers. Uh, Two children, mm-hmm. you know, because um, my nephew and me are like exactly 10 years apart. And it's just, I don't know. It's a, it's amazing. Like, I, yeah, I have nephew and niece. And I guess we'll find out on Saturday what yeah,
1: right. my next, and mystery, my next one will be.
0: And, and I get to be like a sibling today. I get to be a daughter and I get to be a friend. And I'll get to be a companion to somebody
3: <laughs> someday.
0: Like an actual companion, you know? And I'm actually very lucky from my disease, like we talked about, you know, from uh, my disease of addiction and alcoholism that I didn't come out of this with HIV or, right. like, anything other, like, severely. I've beat hepatitis C twice. I mm-hmm. contracted hepatitis C from intravenous mm-hmm. use and I beat it twice, yeah. too. Like, God wants me here for a purpose. There's right. so, There's something bigger than me that i don't know what it is but i'm really excited to find out so that's my story y'all i hope (laughs) i hope you enjoyed it
2: (laughs) yeah um what kept you coming back i mean you said you went through six times but it's so crazy to hear how far you were in like how much you just absolutely were struggling but then you just kept coming back like what was the thought process behind that
0: Everybody here at Serenity House and Care Transitions and and Diamond Willow, I need to call out Diamond Willow because I I love them. And (laughs) I stayed there for seven months. And that's Mm -hmm. the reason that my recovery is so strong to this day, too, is that I went into a transitional living and I learned how to live. Mm -hmm. You know, I have money in my bank account. That I haven't That's spent yours. on dope either.
1: <laughs> Isn't that yeah. cool? Like, That's yeah. awesome. No, it's huge.
0: Every day that I'm sober, like, it's just a blessing. And I kept coming back because they really care. Mm-hmm. Like, they actually care. And they'll show you it. Like, they tell me all the time. They've already planned my year. Mm-hmm.
3: My mm-hmm.
0: year birthday. They're going to hang me up by my feet because they call me their trophy fit.
3: Yeah. <laughs> 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 wow. They're they're incredible.
0: They just were so invested in me. And I started to become invested in myself. I always tell people that my bottom was when I knew I was going to die, but I didn't want to anymore.
3: Right. Hmm. Like,
0: at that point, I was like, okay, I don't want to die anymore. Right. Like, and now I, it just blows my mind how amazing life is now. It really is. Like, you can come from the trenches and the gutter Mm-hmm. and become a productive member of society
2: and you had like one job before this or two jobs or whatever like yeah I think
0: yeah like like one or two yeah two jobs I had a waitressing job and I had uh, the one at the aspen that was mm-hmm. it
2: yeah and yet you're you're functioning today you got the skills and you've learned to you know find a place basically mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. seemed pretty hopeless I'm sure oh I mean, yeah especially just, just thinking about it that must have been daunting like how am I gonna get my life together like it must have seemed so far-fetched that you were ever gonna clean anything up in your life and and just I'm a, I'm assuming it was really overwhelming but
0: oh yeah then
2: you, they helped you take the little steps and maybe not see it quite as a mountain but more as a journey of discovery learning what it is to be in a life that you that you want to be in
0: Oh yeah like now I'm not trying to escape from my life yeah. which is the biggest thing like I think right. alcoholism and addiction, a lot of the time stems from having a life that we want to escape from. Mm-hmm. Even though I was raised so great and my parents wanted to give me literally everything. My siblings are amazing. My whole, you know, outer family is amazing. Mm-hmm. There was something in me that I just wanted to escape from and now I'm like comfortable with myself.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Every day even when I was using like well some of the days I used to wear so much makeup that it would just, like, cake my face. And now Mm. I, like, barely – there's most Mm. days that I don't wear it because I'm just like, whatever. You know, Mm -hmm. like, I'm comfortable with myself now. And I'm not going out and selling my body every day, which is, like, the biggest thing for me because also in that line of, you know, quote-unquote work I was doing – Uh, There's a lot of sexual assault and rape that happens, Yeah. you know, Mm -hmm. so that's another thing I had to deal with. And um, it can be an internal battle sometimes, but as long as I choose to talk about it and my PTSD and stuff, Mm -hmm. then it can be helped. So,
1: yeah,
0: yeah, it's possible, guys. Life's so amazing now. Mm -hmm. It's so amazing. So what would
1: you, oh, sorry, what would you, this may be kind of a difficult question just to answer, uh, even if you have a good answer. But uh, so like what? <laughs> yeah, it's just I was thinking about it, like how I would how I would answer it, and like I couldn't think of that. You know, like, good or bad, and I couldn't really think about how answer <coughs> it. So I kind of even have a hard time asking it. But it's worth being asked. I you think it is one. definitely. But um, yeah. To someone who does feel like it's just like so overwhelming and such a daunting task. I have two questions actually. So we'll go one at a time here. Question one. Uh, <laughs> So for someone who is feeling like so overwhelmed at like all the things they're going to have to change to like get into recovery or exist in recovery that's not there yet. What advice or what like what would you say to somebody who like came and asked like hey Kayla like this is the most impossible thing in the world. Like what am I supposed to do?
0: So cliché and everybody says it, but seriously one day at a time mm-hmm. and find a higher power. Because that higher power is going to lead you to greatness. Mm -hmm. You know, once I started praying and relying on God, things started panning out and working out and a sense of relief came over me. Like, the obsession to use and drink has been lifted. Mm -hmm. That was huge for me. That was the one thing that kept me going back out. Was I couldn't stop thinking about heroin and alcohol. Mm -hmm. And that was what kept me going back out to the dope man in the bar. Mm -hmm. You know? And now, since that's lifted things are just so much more smooth sailing so I would say for that question yeah just one day at a time and finding a higher power <laughs> and working the program whatever program it is that works for you you know find the one that works for you and work those steps right. definitely
1: my second question is as we talked about you know escaping because I think you're I think you're pretty spot on with that through our experience too talking to a lot of people it's just like that's kind of what leads them there you know as you have you've something that you feel like you want to escape so even for especially like not that any young kids are going to be listening to this but like relatively young I mean like we're still pretty young obviously too but yeah you know people in like their 20s and like maybe their late teens that may end up listening to this like if even if you're like even if they're not to a point of addiction yet or like but you kind of have that inkling you know even like at a young age that like you feel like this is something like you might want to escape or somebody who is uncomfortable like in their own skin like what would you What would your advice be to them to kind of find something other, like, what would your advice be to them at all, really, you know what I mean?
0: Therapy is huge. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we've talked about that. Like, I have gone to multiple therapists, but finding a therapist that I was comfortable with to talk about what was going on with me and telling them, like, how I felt, and also a doctor, mm-hmm. being able to be diagnosed if I did have mental health disorders, right. which I did, and mm-hmm. that was another thing that kept me going out, you know, so, yeah, if you're not comfortable in your skin, I think finding a therapist and a doctor that'll work with you is super huge mm-hmm. on that.
1: Yeah. For sure. That's all good advice. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kayla, for uh, hanging out with us these last couple of weeks and sharing your story with us, I and mean, it was... Was a wild one. <laughs> yeah. It
0: was did alive. was Dale I mean, pretty spot on on that? <laughs> I
1: mean, <laughs> yeah, our talk to Dale were like because we, we didn't really go into much detail. We did hear the trophy fish thing, so I thought.
2: That was cool <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. I think. Yeah, that we heard that he's part. He's thinking
1: about that, but. And just like about, I mean, obviously we didn't get into details about like why you came back or like, the f- I mean, from their his perspective, you know, like our conversation with him was like, you know, we just kept like, every time she leaves, we are like, man, I hope, I just hope she comes back. Yeah, I hope hope she comes back. I hope she comes back. And then like he said one day, like, and he honestly said that he didn't really even know why, but it's like this one time it just stuck and it's all it took, you know? And I think that's important too, like, for people to know that might be going through anything that they're struggling with, you know it is I mean? Just like, whether it's going to your therapist or going to the doctor or going to detox or care transitions, like, if you have to, if you're in that spot, just keep coming back and like yes just keep coming back you know like Mm -hmm. somehow some way like
0: takes as many times as it takes
1: yeah and there's there's no shame in coming back and nobody there is gonna make you feel shamed about coming back or make you feel guilty about coming back they're just gonna be really really excited that you're back Mm -hmm. yeah and that's i think that's important that's huge
2: And even that conversation kind of started with me asking uh, Dale, I said, you know, I had a really great childhood. Like, I didn't really have anything super traumatic happen to me, but I still struggled with marijuana. But to me, it's still something that was... A problem. Kind of took over my life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it could be anything. Even you talking about, yeah, living in squalor. I was like, that kind of hits a little too close to home on some times where I just kind of let things go. I'm like, eh, I'll take care of it tomorrow. Yeah. And then, eh, take care of it tomorrow. And that kind of thing. But... Anyways, I was asking Dale, I was like, is there, you know, is that a common thing? Because a lot of the, what's uh, a lot of our stories that we hear, there's usually some traumatic past that kind of precedes it. And then you kind of brought up your story about how you seem to have an all right childhood, but things still went awry. And I think that's, it's good to understand that uh, you don't need to feel guilty. And maybe I'm projecting there Mm -hmm. because I almost did. I almost feel guilty that like I had such a good life growing up and yet I still feel like Like, what do I, what am I running from? You know, but it's really an individual process. It's all relative. Yeah. It really is. is. And you don't think, oh, I didn't have it bad enough. So I don't need, I don't need help, you Mm -hmm. know, because that's for people who had a rough life. You know, I don't deserve that in the kind of sense of Mm -hmm. like, what, what do I really struggle with? But it is individual. And if you do have those feelings that you are struggling, you should look for help. Like, it's not limited to people who had rough lives. Like, everyone yes. struggles in their own way. Exactly. Uh, so, if you're listening out there, and you're anything like me, and you're like, I don't need that. That's that's for people who, who had a really terrible, crazy life. No. Right. no. No. You know, it's for everybody. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Helps for everybody. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for listening. This was you and I for the keynote.